You're listening to the Plain Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Waltorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 17 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me, well, I should be joining him actually in uh, his kitchen studio. We're in Simon's kitchen studio. Hello, Simon. Hello. Hello, how are you then, Simon? Yes, good very good. Yeah, yeah, good week. Uh, off for the Easter, uh, bank holiday weekend, so I'm looking forward to that, out and about uh, for a few things, so yep. Yeah, I made a big mistake of bringing around uh, some uh, sweets for the girls today. Yeah, so I? they'll be even more hyper <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> but uh, yes, we are here uh, at the at uh, Simon's house, we're to record episode 17. It's uh, half past 11 on the 18th of April, it's a Friday, Easter Friday. And uh, we have with us on the show via Skype a very special guest indeed. Uh, he's got his own podcast. He's just started afresh. He's uh, just done episode number two, which is released on uh, iTunes. And it's the Plane Safety uh, Podcast. And we'd like to welcome on the show, Pilot Pip. Good morning, chaps. Hello, Pip. And how are you on this uh, sunny, uh, rather cloudy morning? <laughs> I'm very well, very well indeed. How are you guys, Carlos Simon? Yeah, we're yeah, good. Yeah, we're good. Um, I'm looking forward to the extended uh, bank holiday weekend and also looking forward to the air shows, uh, which are just around the corner now. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. Yeah, yeah we might might, uh, might see Pip when we're at uh, Riyadh. Yes, yeah, so I think uh, I think we're most probably going to be uh, meeting up, uh, hopefully, and uh, we'll uh, get some uh, cross some notes with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look forward to that. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, Pip, we're very uh, privileged to have uh, another pilot on the show. As we remember from a few episodes back, we had uh, Captain Jeff on the show while Simon was away. So we've got, yeah, another pilot. This is awesome. So, Pip, just quickly before we start the news in, uh, um, we obviously we don't want to talk about the airline you fly for, um, but it is safe air, as it's called on your podcast. Just a quick uh, run through on the aircraft <clears throat> you fly, Pip, really. Oh, okay. Well, I, I call them Safe Jet Airlines on the on the show, um, but as obviously that's not their real name. Uh, the aircraft I fly. Well, it's a slightly unusual airline. It's not your uh, the airline your listeners will be familiar with. It's a, I would describe it as a business, uh, a business travel airline for business travellers. Um, and I fly the HS one two five, or commonly known as the Hawker eight hundred aircraft, uh, which is a a small aircraft by most people's standards seats well our one seat eight to ten people though it can take up to 15 plus crew uh and it's a short to medium range aircraft quite an old one in fact it celebrated its 50th birthday last year wow that's uh, that's, yeah that's made for british aerospace as well isn't it? yeah it is i'm yeah. very pleased to tell people that i fly a true <laughs> british airplane there are not many of those no there is, isn't and is it mainly used for commuting um business uh travelers around the uk or do you uh, venture into europe no we use it uh, all over the place um i would say 80 percent of my work is across europe and into russia but pretty regularly we go out to the middle east with it and uh down into africa oh, so it's quite a, um, um it's quite um i didn't uh think about that like that it's uh, quite a long range then it will do, I suppose, two and a half thousand miles reasonably comfortably. Yeah, so you're making so you're a few little six, six and a bit hours endurance, yeah. and a few little stops uh, most probably on the way uh, out and uh, on return as well. Refueling stops. Mm, to the Middle East, yeah, I suppose if we're going all the way down to Dubai, but near Middle East, wow. Tel Aviv, 
uh, places like that, you can get too comfortably in one stop very easily. Yes. Well, I bet you feel. I think the longest flight I've done in it was about five and a half hours, and that was London to uh, Katerinburg, which is quite far into Russia. And that was five, five and a half hours. And that's pretty comfortable, in fact. Yes. At the aeroplane. Uh, do you, uh, I'll ask you this question, you can answer it or not. <clears throat> do Does your aircraft actually pop up on Flight Radar 24 and Flight Tracker? Uh, it yeah. does not. Good question. <laughs> it it does. does not. None of our aircraft do. And I, was, I didn't know this until recently. I wanted to show uh, a relative some of our aircraft. And I said, oh, let's go on to one of these things and we'll, we're bound to see one of them somewhere. Uh, and I couldn't find one anywhere. I thought, no, that's not right. We must have at least one aeroplane flying across Europe somewhere. Yes. Um, no, I couldn't find it. And it turns out, and I'm not an expert here, it turns out that something about the transponders we use don't show up uh, on this uh, on the uh, on these websites. Yes. So whether that's intentional or not for security reasons, yes. I don't know. It may well be. Uh, the people we fly tend to value their privacy and security so they you know i guess they don't want them showing up on yes on flight tracker websites excellent ah oh, blimey actual pilot on the show i don't cast this awesome uh, yeah it thing. is uh, mm-hmm. we welcome you and uh, we're looking forward to this today so we're going to kick oh, off the show. Yeah. Uh, we're going to kick off the show uh, as we always do then with uh, the news. Pip's going to join us uh, throughout the show. He's going to chip in and uh, give us a pilot's uh, point of view from the news feed. So uh, if everyone, if everyone is ready, we'll yeah. kick off with the news. Already. So kicking off the news then this week, we're not going to cover it again in any great detail uh, this week because there's been really no developments, but it's the Malaysian uh, three flight uh, MH370. Um, we've been following the news, as everyone has, and there's not really been a huge amount of uh, progress at all uh, with the search for the aircraft. Still no debris has been found. They did find some oil um, earlier this week, yeah. which they've tested, and they've said in the last uh, 24 hours that that's been confirmed as not being from uh, the 777. Um, they are still obviously uh, searching the seabed with uh, the um, deep submersible submarines to try and uh, find the, the, the debris or the wreckage of the aircraft if it is down there. But as yet, nothing's been found um, to really say with a you know a 100% um, that that's that's what happened to the aircraft. So I honestly think now uh, what we were talking about, uh, me and Carlos, uh, short time ago before we came on air, the fact that this aircraft is uh, a possibility that it's landed somewhere and it's not even in the sea. So it, or, there's a lot of conspiracy theories around. Um, them, but they're, they're gradually getting uh, longer. What do you uh, think, Pip? Well, the short answer or the long answer? Um, anything <laughs> we don't care. Well, the short answer is, I have no idea. Mm. The long answer is, I really, really have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to this but, aircraft. I wouldn't like to hazard a guess. No. I, I would put big money on it at the bottom of the ocean somewhere, to be honest. Mm, yeah. I don't think someone's stolen it and, and parked it up in the mountains in Afghanistan or something like that. No. Uh, what about the uh, US base in the Indian Ocean, the secret base? Do you think it's uh, possibly there? 
That's another one no, of those conspiracy I, theories, what, and it's it's just crazy. It, I've not heard that one. Um, what's that airbase then? Um, that is uh, one where they uh, that's just a secret airbase where they uh, st- uh, stored a lot of the um, uh, hostages, uh, not hostages, um, the people from nine um, eleven, wasn't it? That was um, one of those. That's one of the on one of those conspiracy. Where I mean, you don't know what's true and what isn't true these yes, days. Yeah. There is there's just so much, um, um, so many different stories you hear about about what's been going on, what hasn't gone on, what has gone on. But until they, I would find... highly doubt it's sitting on a US airbase somewhere. I mean, no. what would to whose advantage is that? Why would they conceivably want to hide an aeroplane mm. in the yeah. Pacific Ocean? Yeah. But uh, hopefully the hopefully the search teams uh, you know will will hopefully find something bring some closure to uh, to this story and obviously you know bring closure to the families and relatives of uh, of those who have been lost in that accident. So mm. the one crossed. thing that does bug me, if you're interested, after what has been four weeks or so now, yes. yeah, not found a single bit of wreckage Shredded. anywhere. That's Nothing's it. washed up. There's nothing on the ocean. I've, it's all a bit strange. Is it possible to crash an aircraft into the ocean and have it remain fully intact? That's what I thought the don't other day, know. actually. I don't know. I suppose if you look at the Hudson thing last year where the, the chap put it down in the river in a controlled crash, a controlled landing, then that's possible to keep the whole thing intact. Yes. But he done he done well to do that, really, didn't he, to bring that in intact? Um, yeah, but, 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 you know, if, if that's happened with the Malaysian thing, then that's suggests all kinds of other things that, that someone at least was still in control of the aeroplane and, and put it down in a controlled manner into the ocean. Yes, yeah. Yes, so we'll move on to our next story then. And uh, this is something that uh, Pilot Pip will know bits and pieces about, I expect, from his uh, his pilot uh, flying around everywhere uh, in the airspace. This is regarding NATS, the uh, National Air Traffic Control Services, uh, trying a new route to reduce uh, stacking above Heathrow. And the uh, they're trying a new operational procedure to cut the amount of time aircraft circle in holding stacks above London Heathrow. Uh, traditionally, NATS, the UK's air traffic service provider, has only been able to influence an arriving aircraft's approach to Heathrow once it enters UK airspace, sometimes only 80 miles from the airport. This limits the opportunity to manage the flow of air traffic and can result in additional time spent in holding stacks. Uh, The trial is being led by NATS in close cooperation with the French air traffic control provider DSNA and the Maastricht Upper Area Control Centre and Presswick Control Centre with the aim of cutting the average holding times by at least a quarter from the current time of just under eight minutes. In a pre-trial test of the system, the first ever live data, flight BAW74, was passed between NATS and the French air traffic controllers at DSNA's Rhymes Control Centre in the early hours of March 21st, 2014. And Martin Rolfe, the managing director of the operations at NATS, has said that they expect the trial to be a significant benefit to the airline's customers in terms of fuel savings. So is that something that's affected you at all, Pip, when you've been flying in and around Heathrow? Any holes? Yeah, it's a, it's a common uh, thing at Heathrow, Gatwick as well. Not so much Luton or Stansted, but you can pretty much bank on a 5 to 20 minute delay going into Heathrow. It's rare that you're not uh, directed to hold somewhere. So if, as they're suggesting, they can slow you down further out, uh, then that, as I say, will save a lot of fuel 
Uh, it's much more efficient to stay up at high altitudes and slow down rather than come down and enter a holding pattern at the low altitudes where you're really burning a lot of fuel. I'm, I've been so, in, yeah, it makes sense. Aircraft, and I've been holding, coming in, not so much Heathrow, it's been Gatwick, we, we, for coming in to land, and you can all, you can see as a passenger outside the window, and you can see other aircraft. aircraft yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, now if I've uh, looked on Flight Radar um, 24, and one or two others. And uh, the busiest, I would imagine, the most peak time for uh, stacking is uh, early morning when you get a lot of the f- uh, flights coming in from the Middle East and uh, from the US. And uh, there's one or two uh, Holden patterns that they use. I think there's one which is just north of Heathrow, and then there's another one out over Essex. Uh, can you uh, sort of enlighten us on that, Pip? Yeah, there's more than two. There's four or five uh, that they use. Uh and it's not just at the peak times. It's it's almost any time of the day when you're going in there. Maybe at peak times, the delays are a bit longer. But as I say, it's rare that you don't get put into a hold. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's a few holds. There's one, let's think, there's the Biggin Hill hold. There's one at... Um, Is it Lambourne? There's another one. Lambourne, yeah, at Stapleford Aerodrome, where I learned to fly, in fact. There's a Bovingdon. There's some down around the south. Yeah, oh, there's quite a number of them. Yes, yeah. Quite a number of them. And in fact, you may go into one hold, only be directed to go into another hold. Yeah. So, you know, you enter a holding pattern just to wait for your turn to enter yeah. another holding pattern. The normal uh, sort of time for a holding pattern, is that, does that vary or is it about uh, it 20 eight, minutes? eight minutes on here, and it says eight minutes is the average, but um, I'm, I'm pretty uh, sure circled, it's longer than that. Circled yeah. longer than that. The total delay, you mean, in, in the holding pattern? Yes, mm. yeah. It can vary. As I said, anything between five and twenty minutes is yeah. typical for London. Yes. Which I suppose, if you're a pilot and you love flying, as you do, Pip, that's good. <laughs> well, it's certainly good for the logbook. Yeah, no doubt. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So next you know, holding these days is very easy. You just punch a few buttons on the computer and, and off it goes. Sit and back, get it. another coffee, and yeah. yeah. That's it. Back in the old days, it was quite a sort of intensive mental process working out the the winds and, and all the rest yeah. of it. But, uh, is that mainly just due to sheer volume of traffic or does that include uh, weather and uh, numerous other things? No, it's just volume of traffic, I think. You know, Heathrow and Gatwick, they've only got so much capacity. Yeah. They can only have so many aircraft landing at one time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the volume of traffic coming into London is immense. Yes. So you've, you've got to put them somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, they don't, do this this holding thing at, at all cities go to paris for instance and they have a, a completely different system uh of what they call rnav arrivals uh so you just fly a, a very specific route at very set speeds and this, this just feeds you in one by one yep. uh, into the airport uh, but it does mean i think the heathrow and london area do this this holding thing and, and issue people with headings because they can fit more traffic in they can reduce the separation between the aircraft Whereas yeah. in places like Paris, you can't do that. So they can fit more people in. Yeah. Uh, but it does mean <clears throat> but, delays. But the, I suppose the amount of uh, airports that we have in the area, you've got Skiphol, you've got Heathrow, you've got Gatwick, and you've got a lot of these um, sli- ones, slightly uh, smaller ones. So mm. um, we are in one of the sort of, I must admit, the busiest areas in the world, I would imagine. Not the busiest, it, but one of the top places. Well, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it is the busiest. Yeah. In just sheer density. It's, yeah, if it's not the busiest, then it's, it's right up there in the, the top yes, couple. Yeah. So next piece of news moving on is from the Travel Mall website. This one is regarding in-flight Wi-Fi, <coughs> and there's uh, three more airlines which have signed up 
um, to an IT system offering in-flight phone connection and Wi-Fi. Kuwait Airways has signed uh, up to on-air for its 12 new aircraft as part of its uh, privatisation to complete a fleet upgrade uh, delivered from December this year. The uh, airline is going to be fitted with mobile on-air and internet on-air to allow customers to use Wi-Fi as well as phones, text and email uh, from their devices. Uh, TAG, Angola Airlines, has become on-air's first sub-Saharan African customer introducing the technology on its fleet. And Sri Lankan Airlines, which is due to join the One World Alliance on May the 1st, is installing the system on its six new aircraft as it renews its long-haul fleet. On Air, which is owned by CITA, S-I-T-A, the IT solutions provider to the air transport world, has regulatory approvals from over 100 countries, as well as more than 375 roaming agreements. Like a Wi-Fi hotspot on the ground, passengers can log in, enter their details, credit card details, and begin surfing the internet. Passengers can also use mobile on air to email, text, talk, and use their mobile apps as they please and charges are included in the user's monthly phone bill, just like uh, international roaming abroad. That's something that I use before. I've used a couple of times now, and I've been flying mostly with Emirates. They're on board Wi-Fi, and it, yes. is, it is really good. It's quick. Yeah. Uh, and for the $2.99 that uh, Emirates charged, I thought that was um, for the amount of um, data usage I got was, was good. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's a little uh, bit, well, it's not a gimmick, but it's another way of making mo- a little bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, I take it you don't have uh, Wi-Fi on the uh, on your on your jet, uh, Pip? On my airplane, we don't. No. But so on the long-range aircraft that we have, they do have Wi-Fi. And it's not cheap. I'm surprised. You just said they're 2 Emirates were charging. Yeah, but you, Is that you, right? Yeah, that's, you, you pay your $2.99 by your debit or credit card, and you get an allocated allowance of megabytes, which you can use. I've, yeah. Off the top of my head, I think it was something like um, 400 or 500 megabytes of, of data that you could uh, use, and there was a little uh, timer on which they had on their website page which you could keep an eye on to make sure how you were, you know, were getting on with your usage and stuff. But, um, you know, it, 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 it lasted me for... You know the amount of time that I wanted to um, sort of send a few tweets and um, you know the usual sort of uh, social media type <clears throat> things. Mm. That's I'm not an expert, but that actually sounds fantastic value for just two two bucks ninety nine. Uh, I know that at our company there were a lot of discussions regarding who can use the Wi-Fi. Certainly, the crew are not allowed to use it because it's so expensive. Uh, I know we've had people have streamed live sporting events basketball or things like that and they've run up a bill into the thousands and thousands of dollars for doing this so it's, it doesn't come cheap at all <laughs> no that it, it was the connection was really good the speed was 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 excellent as well um i mean i used it, i was chatting to my father for quite a bit uh, but i mean that was on the airbus a380 so there was you know, ah. a good uh, uh 489 or something, i think 489 people who could all have possibly been paying that money to use wi-fi and some probably more i expect um yeah well that makes a difference of course. yeah definitely so next piece of news moving on is from the travel weekly website uh this one is regarding thompson uh, airlines and their receiving a lot more bookings now via mobile devices um this quarter thompson's bookings uh for this year uh, most of their bookings came via tablets or smartphones uh which is a 78 percent increase um in last year from the uh, the uh, devices 
The TUI UK in Ireland Managing Director David Burling said that this shows the investment they've made in, in the devices with the apps um, reach customers and are brilliant for their choices in booking holidays. The company's also revealed that online sales are going to hit 50% of total sales this year, worth $1.8 billion in a turnover. Can't say I've ever used a tablet or a mobile phone device to book a holiday. I always tend to use yeah, the I've, laptop. I've, I've used it to um, for eBay and other things. Um, but phones have become more advanced now than they have mm. ever been. And um, I suppose um, it's a good way of uh, doing it if you're sort of stuck out somewhere or you're at work mm. and you want to do something. So I suppose if, you, if, you're, if you're in a different country and you want to book a flight, return flight home, it's, yes, it's handy yeah. to have that option to do, but... I don't know. I just I prefer having when I'm booking a, a thing such as a holiday. I'd, I'd like to have yes. that full screen yes. that I can see every yeah. single piece of information. It, it, it does. You do have that sort of uh, thing on a, a phone where it is just sort of like the mobile app. Does it's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you're saying about that. Do you, do you have you uh, booked a, ever booked a holiday uh, with a mobile phone app? Bit? Funnily enough, I almost booked a holiday yesterday with my iPad, although I changed my mind at the last minute. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd have no problem using the iPad, to be honest, for uh, booking stuff like that. I use it all the time, and my iPhone as well, for uh, checking into flights, for BA flights. Uh, that's very handy indeed. You can just do it on the taxi down to Heathrow, for instance. Check in, choose your seat, and that's mm. great. It saves having to you know, get up early and log onto the PC and... Far up, far up the laptop, exactly. Yeah. So Business Traveller site then is uh, talking uh, about Cathay Pacific, which are confirming their Manchester routes. Cathay Pacific uh, has confirmed it will launch a four times a week direct service uh, from Manchester um, to, oh, here we go, the Hong Kong. There we go. Just reading through the website there. They're going from Manchester to Hong Kong, and they're going to operate the service uh, uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays using their 777-300ER in a three-class configuration with 40 seats in business class, 32 in premium economy, and 268 in economy. And they're doing this because of a continuing increase in demand for air travel uh, from Manchester to uh, the Asia-Pacific region for both business and leisure. Uh, this will be the only non-stop direct service from Manchester to Hong Kong and Cafe Pacific offers passengers even more choice and flexibility and at the same time will boost Manchester's standing as an international hub. Cafe Pacific is also thought to be launching a daily service to Zurich uh, in December this year that will again be served by a 777-300ER. Have you ever you flown Cathay Pacific before? No, Have you no, not? Um, not Cathay Pacific. I've uh, it's mainly uh, United. Uh, I've uh, flown on the triple sevens. Have you ever flown Cathay, Pip? No, I haven't. No, never at all. Um, they're quite highly rated as an airline. On um, yes, on I hear they are very good. The service and stuff, but uh, that's good news for Manchester. That's definitely going to bring uh, extra um, well extra revenue for the airport. The passengers coming in. Just seem to be cramming all the air, extra aircraft into the UK. <laughs> Are we missing something here? <laughs> Man- Manchester, I think, is getting is getting quite a, a popular airport. I yes. think now for, well, for airlines, for big airlines. Having said that, there's uh, one or two airports started around the UK that are starting to get busy. We were talking about this in a previous podcast about uh, South End and how uh, mm. busy that's uh, coming as well. So it just seems as though the east of England and the 
and London area and the Midlands. It just seems to be uh, booming with uh, more flights and more um, more aircraft capacity. Yeah, I mean, our local airport, Norwich, Pip, um, as you know, it's about 25, half, well, half an hour from here, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Uh, Norwich Airport. It's a lovely airport, Pip. It's a, it's an international airport, but it's just re- you're so restricted on flights to um, to to European destinations. Um, there's not many airlines operate from Norwich, and those that do, the times and the prices for the flights are are well ridiculous, aren't they? The prices. Well, we yeah we, we as um, we discussed this as well because it is. Um, an area which is used uh, for the um, oil companies and yeah, the, the gas offshore. Um, offshore industry. So there always has been, um, even when my uh, father years ago used to use that to uh, fly, there always has been a, a slightly higher, I say slightly, a very high price to pay for um, fl- some flights, um, especially to Aberdeen or um, Amsterdam. But I know Amsterdam is a lot cheaper now than it's ever been. And um, but there's just that charge. You've got that passenger air- airport tax, haven't you? Yeah. Um, which you have to pay as well. So I think which is now what is it? Ten pounds. Ten pounds per person. Ten pounds yeah. per person. Adults anyway. So um, but That's... it needs to um get a few more airlines in. But you Definitely. have got the yeah. hub of Schiphol. Um, so that does give you that freedom to fly anywhere really in the world from Norwich. So have you flown into Norwich before, Pip? Yes, I have actually a couple of times. Not for a little while now, but uh, yeah, every so often we go there. I suppose the trouble with Norwich is quite isolated, isn't it, out there on the on the east coast? Yes, it is. Yeah, I suppose maybe the the catchment area isn't really that large, and the passenger numbers, I guess, just aren't attractive enough for airlines to to make a go of it. Because which got, is a shame. Because yeah, it's a it's a nice little airport, yes, though. and uh, you've got Stansted, um, which I know a lot of people uh, in sort of this area do use. Um, because it's um, it's not that far away, um, and it's near and handy, and obviously G- EasyJet and Ryanair are the main sort of mm. airlines that come out out of that um, Stansted Airport, and uh, they've got quite a big uh, gateway to uh, European countries. Mm. To give you to give you a rough idea, Pip, for for me and my wife, when we go, we go could we go back to Malta every year. Um, favourite destination of the family. We've been going back for years now. And to fly from Stansted to Malta um, with the low-cost carriers, um, you know, you're, you're talking um, a kind of... It normally works at about £400, I suppose, return. Roughly around about £400, £350, £400. When you fly from Norwich, because Air Malta do fly from Norwich, um, you can add another £150, £200 on top of that to fly from Norwich. Wow. I I can't think of any justification for that, to be honest. I don't know why they can charge extra for Norwich. I mean, Norwich shouldn't be any more expensive to operate in or out of than Stansted. In fact, you'd think it would be cheaper. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that's all about. Yes. No, that's, that's unfortunate, really. There's a lot of people, I, I mean, I work with a lot <clears> of people who would fly from Norwich yes. if, if, you know, if it was more you know the, the price was better and the, the flight times as well pip can be a bit of a killer because the flight times can be um you, you sometimes leave um kind of late and get into into luca late in the early hours of the morning which uh, can be quite off-putting for me anyway for for flying and you have got air malta which now flies out of 
Norwich as well. well they've, yeah, they've air multi flown from Norwich for a while, but that, like I said, the prices are just so exorbitant for what, yes. um, for what they're. And it's easier for us, uh, Pip, just to get in the car and travel an hour down the road to Stansted. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of quirky airline to be operating out of Norwich, um, also. Yeah, yeah they I'm surprised there's the... the passenger numbers there to, to make that a regular route. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how can I say this? Uh, the. the Majority does of Norwich people... have a large Maltese population? <laughs> you don't think it does? Uh, my friends would say I'm, I'm Maltese. They always accuse me of being Maltese. But um, no, I, I think it's it's uh, it's mostly um, there's a lot of uh, well, how should I put this? Nannies and granddads who do who do like to go to Malta, and they uh-huh. they do they do because you know the, um, retired you know people who are retired can fly any time of the week, any time of the day. And their flights are on Tuesdays, if I remember off the top of my head. So they can, you know, hop on and, and fly to, to Malta on a Tuesday. Whereas for me, I, I have to fly really on a Friday or Saturday uh-huh. um, when I'm going on holiday. But fingers crossed, hopefully, I mean, the figures are going up this year for Norwich. Yes, they're, yeah, it's um, um, really uh, they're getting gone up. And, more and it's one of, one of the uh, top sort of, what is it? What did we say top ten air, airports uh, um, are booming in the UK? Booming in the UK, yeah. The figures are, are increasing. Yeah, well, it goes to show, doesn't it? If if um, you know if EasyJet can make st- uh, South End work, then it doesn't take too much just to stick an aircraft in Norwich and, and do a couple of routes out of there. I'm sure it uh, it will be a goer. Email email EasyJet and ask them to um, put a flight on. Yes, one, no, one I, aircraft. I, I know. I have seen one or two of their aircraft. Um, this was only a few weeks ago. Saw a, a EasyJet um, Airbus uh, flying out of Norwich. Yeah. Yes, um, it must, must have been for um, something that uh, a spray uh, spray the air at Norwich, um, which is a paint shop uh, based at Norwich Airport. Um, KLM as well. have got quite a large engineering division as well at um, at Norwich Airport. Pip, uh, they've got quite a large hangar. They That's do a lot of maintenance work. Yeah, a friend of mine's wife is a skipper for KLM. What do they call themselves? KLM City Hopper? That, yes, or is that yep. VLM? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they so, use yeah the, she's in and out of there all the time. Yeah, they uh, used to use the um, Fogger Friendship, uh, Fogger 50 um, That's right, uh, yeah. prop aircraft, but they've now retired all, all of them, uh, which I believe, and they're using the Fogger 70 jet and the Fogger 100 jets, um, which are quite uh, regular in the skies around East Anglia, um, because it's only about a 35, 40 minute flight uh, just across the North Sea into uh, Schiphol. So, um, yeah, I've uh, used that many a times, and that's uh, quite a nice little uh, journey. You're up and you're down within uh, minutes, it feels like it anyway. Quick cup of tea and a, um, and a croissant, and that's it. That's it, yeah. Okay, so next piece of news, moving on, the Metro website. This one, uh, I've just found this one this morning before we came over. This I'm looking at this picture. It's and bizarre. Look, and um, it is very scary. <laughs> yet teenagers have managed to smuggle on board a Heathrow-bound jet from Chicago a couple of World War Two bombs. Bound for Chicago. Bound for Chicago. Uh, Heathrow Airport has been forced to defend its security after a pair of students smuggled two large World War artillery shells onto a plane and flew to the US. Baggage screeners made the discovery when the teenagers landed in Chicago, sparking a major incident. It's believed they picked up the 75mm munition... Uh, munitions souvenirs uh, while on a school trip to a former artillery range in France. 
The fine prompted uh, the evacuation of O'Hare Airport in uh, by the FBI before officials concluded there was no risk of the shells exploding. It's not clear how the students aged 16 and 17 managed to sneak the rusty munitions <coughs> from the scene and onto the plane um, in London. Uh, and a spokeswoman for Heathrow Airport said that uh, they have the world's most advanced airport scanning equipment, uh, which is designed to pick up actual threats such as explosive materials, whereas these were inert items that posed no threat. However, the incident caused enough concern among US authorities that they detained and questioned the teenagers after Monday's find. The pair were later released without charge and allowed to continue their journey home to Seattle, minus the shells. Well, um, as this is bizarre, like you said. Looking at these photos here. Yeah, we've got um, the pictures on the website here. They're quite large. I mean, I mean they're fit in a suitcase, but they are. Yes, and it's quite. I don't care what anybody says about any uh, munitions uh, bomb. If it's still in one piece and it's been disarmed, there's still that threat of something possibly happening. And uh, even having just looking at these pictures, Pip, um, which are quite scary, and uh, to find them and how that got through Heathrow without them detecting them, and all the way to the other end, is uh, quite. Yeah, <laughs> I guess the, uh, the the equipment they use is is scanning for or senses explosive um, compounds. Yes. So this, uh, you know, I think these shells are just a, a big lump of rusty metal. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, people travel with bits of metal in their suitcase all yes, the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what it is they were meant to have picked up here, but yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't get too excited about this story, but no. So moving on to the business traveller, uh, and this one is uh, regarding British Airways Airbus A320s and they're rejigging their seat configuration. <laughs> to uh, fit more seats in the 320s. They're moving up to 174 seats. Um, the chief executive of uh, BA has revealed the carrier's uh, A320s are going to contain either 168 or 174 seats. He defended the move to add more seats to the short-haul fleet, saying that the reconfiguration of the aircraft is being facilitated by the new seat technology, which is much more efficient. The old seats were very large and very heavy and took up more space. And the seats they've got are similar to the ones that uh, EasyJet have fitted on a lot of their new Airbus, which are uh, um, a lot more lightweight. And uh, I think I mean I haven't actually travelled on them and, and sat. I know that uh, friends of the family have, uh, have uh, travelled with EasyJet and seen these new seats. But BA are fitting these new seats to uh, enable them to add a few more seats onto the Airbus 320. Um, but they're also going to save on fuel as well because the seats are uh, a lot less uh, weight in the actual production, the build of the seats themselves. Uh, passengers uh, might feel that they're losing out in the new arrangement, which uh, he has said that passengers are going to have the same amount of seat uh, or feet room or leg room as they did with the old seats. Um, and they're also saying here that these new seats are even more comfortable than the original old-style seats. So have you have you flown EasyJet, Pip, uh, with these new seats? They, I think they've been made by Recaro, if I'm, if I'm right. Mm, uh, do you know, I, d- I don't know. I've certainly flown EasyJet recently, new seats. I don't think I'd notice if it was uh, if I'm sitting on a new seat or not. Uh, apparently the seats are the pictures that we're seeing uh, the seats are a lot thinner 
um they look they look really thin actually look like quite uncomfortable but uh, apparently they are they are just as comfortable if not more oh, do you know what? i think maybe i do know the ones you're referring to perhaps ryanair have them already um, these these yeah sort of very thin a thin looking seat in alloy a sort of alloy frame but i think they obviously put a better seat cushion on i think on these seats so uh so yeah we'll have to look like a book a holiday simon with ba I didn't yeah. fly. I have never actually fly. I need to fly BA. I mean, You've you know, never flown. I have BA. never flown BA in all my years at I, all. Um, I've flown them years back, but I've never sort of uh, flown them recently. Um, so yeah. So next piece of news from the Guardian website. This one is about a British Airways jet that um, a fire reignited repeatedly as crews tried to put it out. Um, five five extinguishers had to be used to put out the blaze on Heathrow-bound jumbo jet carrying 274 passengers. Uh, this one was from October. This report has just come out uh, about this. This has happened in October last year. Uh, the crew struggled to put out a fire on the jumbo jet carrying 274 passengers. And five extinguishers, as we said, were used um, on the uh, engine to try and put out the blaze on the engine, but it appeared to reignite repeatedly, said a report. It was subsequently considered that the area of the fire in one of the galley, well, it's a galley here, galley fire, it says here wow. now, um, had <clears throat> been uh, electrically isolated during the incident. Uh, the Air Accident Investigation Branch added that BA accordingly made several internal safety recommendations regarding both cabin and flight crew procedures and training. Described by the AAOB as a serious accident, the fire broke out as the Boeing 747 was about two hours away from Heathrow on a flight from Dallas, Texas in October last year. The report said that the flight crew had noticed a smell and smoke was detected either in the lavatory or the cooling duct of the in-flight entertainment equipment. The flight crew had elected not to wear oxygen masks uh, nor to broadcast a distress call, the uh, report said. Smoke and flames were coming from uh, the in-flight entertainment equipment and was later put out by the extinguishers by the members of crew. Um, it's... Uh, quite worrying that one but at least that uh, obviously was a good outcome at the end of, uh, yes, end of that yeah, incident yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting when you see these reports of um, that, that come out quite a, a time after the actual incident yeah, itself I mean, a, this was long, October last yeah, year quite a time lapse I think it's a major investigation it was on before they release any details so never you've never had that uh, never had that problem Pip of any uh, any in-flight uh, problems as such well yeah i've had my fair share of in-flight problems but funnily enough i have in fact had a smoke incident uh before on an aircraft in my um before the aircraft i'm flying now in a, a beach 1900 turboprop coming out this is a few years ago now but coming out of tirana in albania of all places yes um we're just reaching top of climb something around twenty-four thousand feet something like that and I just took a breath in like this, and there was the the strongest, most pungent odor I think I've ever smelt. And I turned to my colleague, and I said, "What's that?" And he did the same thing, took a big breath in, and then I looked behind me to look back into the the cabin, and I in the first row I could just see the passenger in the first row of seats disappear behind a smog of folk uh, of smoke. It's quite amusing. He was midway through a sandwich, and he was looking very panicked as this white smoke enveloped him uh and we thought oh 
well, that's not good. So the first action, of course, is to put your put your oxygen masks on. Uh, we initiated a, a, an emergency descent back to the airport. Um, but uh, it was such a pungent smell. I thought at first it was electrical burning. You know, that, that smell that when you have an overheating plug or something. Mm. Um, but actually, on hindsight, it wasn't that. It was coming out of the air conditioning ducts somewhere. So it was a something within the air conditioning. Uh, I don't think we ever quite found out what it was. Probably a bit of plastic somewhere had fallen down and was, was uh, on a hot pipe or something like that and was burning. But uh, that uh, that definitely got the heart pumping. I can tell you, that was a Blimey. you know proper brown trousers moment. Do you know, of all the all the time, all the flights I've I've took in my life, um, I've never I've never had any any incidents at all. I've which, uh, uh, had uh, one coming into Reno, and uh, that was what was that? That was on a seven two seven aircraft. That's uh, gone back a few years, Simon. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Northwest, and uh, we were coming in a heavy snowstorm, and um, I don't know the Pip knows about uh, Reno Airport in Nevada, but um, flying into this, um, uh, we were coming in because we'd come up from. Uh, I think it was at LAX or San Francisco, and uh, the weather was pulling in because that is we go up there to go skiing. Uh, we uh, fly into uh, Reno, and uh, it was real bad. And we never seemed as though we were stopping. We just kept bouncing about, and uh, it wasn't until the last minute then we saw the uh, mountain on the side as we came in um, that I knew it was uh, a pretty bad flight, and we'd been thrown about. But when we took off. Um, to uh, head to uh, Reno, it was it was okay to start with, but then obviously it was a little way away. Um, well, Reno was a little way away from San Francisco or, or um, California, anyway. But we came in; it was quite a hairy flight because of the weather and the wind was throwing us about, and it was really heavy blowing snow. And they just after we landed, they shut the uh, airport due to the weather, so that was quite a hair raising event for me. Mm. I think most of the flights I've taken are, are European flights. It's probably. Um... And they're, they're normally with the, one of the low cost carriers, um, but no, I've never had anything uh, anything that worried me really. Yeah, and I've also had a um, something on the called the you must probably know about this the Sierra Wave uh, where the winds throw the aircraft about, um, which is quite scary as well. Have you ever uh, come across that? I've certainly had a few run-ins with uh, some very heavy turbulence. Um. Once or twice, a true, true heavy turbulence is not something you yeah. often uh, come across. Yeah, what do uh, you... but the, I can't remember the exact definition, but the, it's listed somewhere and, and uh, severe turbulence rather, not heavy yes. turbulence. But severe turbulence means the aircraft is out of control for prolonged periods of time. Yes, and also uh, the. And I've had uh, that just once. Yeah, uh, the, we've had a lot of crosswind uh, land and footage as well, um, which. Um, it's quite interesting to watch, but um, from a pilot's point of view, um, it's quite challenging, I would imagine. Yeah, it can be. It can be, particularly if it's gusty, uh, very gusty conditions. If it's a, just a good, solid, steady crosswind. Yeah. Um, yeah, a bit of practice, and most people can deal with that. But the gusty ones it can be a, a bit yeah. harder. Um, are there any particular airports in the UK which are sort of um, renowned Luton, for this? Luton, I thought. Luton's on top of the hill, and I thought that'd be quite... Um... Mm, no, you'd think, no, Luton's okay. Um, it's not an airport I've been to very often, but I hear Leeds, Bradford yes, is notorious yes, for... Yes, uh, that one's for popped up uh, many a times on the uh, uh, YouTube and Facebook uh, pages. Um, yeah, now most runways in the UK tend to be um, southwest, northeast 
which works out fairly well. You know, the prevailing winds are westerlies. Yes. Um, so there's always a... You rarely get a direct crosswind. Yeah, yeah. Some of the uh, flights... I watch uh, an in- interesting aircraft, um, which I do uh, like to watch, is the Dash Q400, which is uh, operated by Flybe. Now, that tail, the rear tail... Um, the top of it anyway, I think that's designed to sort of stabilise the aircraft um, and I watched uh, a lot of the, them uh, coming into land on a heavy crosswind and they seem as though they're quite a, a good aircraft to control for crosswind landings. Mm. Well, you know, as long as they're being operated within the, the design limits, yes. it's, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah. So next piece. In fact, most aeroplanes, you might be interested to know, they, they have a, a crosswind limit, but it's called a demonstrated crosswind limit. Yes. And that means during the... The certification process they took it out and they demonstrated that it could land comfortably in say i don't know make up numbers here a 40 knot crosswind yes yeah but then they in the in the book there's normally a sentence that says something like so it was demonstrated at 40 knots but should be more than capable in stronger conditions as well yes yeah so next piece of news then uh is uh regarding flyby and uh in March this year, Flybe decided to refresh and rebrand their aircraft, and they've repaint, uh, repainted their first Bombardier Dash 8Q400 in their new purple livery. Um, it's uh, a very purple aircraft. Uh, if you see the pictures on the um, on on the airlinereporter.com website, this one is, and uh, they're rebranding all their aircraft with the new livery, including their Embraer 175s and 195s. And uh, they're progressively going uh, to uh, gonna repaint these aircraft during 2014. It's uh, it's quite a nice one. We're looking at the uh, livery before we start the show. I, I think it's quite good, an all-purple fuselage. Yes, and with a yellow and then a red stripe and then the flyby, which seems as though that's the old um, yeah. livery uh, Still, although it's uh, been updated, um, the yeah, old original colours on the tail. Um, but like um, reading here on this, they're a bit concerned. Some people have been a bit concerned that the purple will fade over time, which which all uh, colours <laughs> fade over time. So um, have you have you seen this one, Pip? The uh, Flybe's new uh, colours. I've just googled it just now. Uh, I'm looking at it. Hmm, interesting. It looks a bit like uh, Wizz Air. <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah, that's, that does actually, yeah. Wizz same, Air. same sort of colour scheme, same colour yeah. purple, yeah, yeah. Looks but, right. I think I preferred the old white scheme, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah it looks I, nice. I think it look it looks good. I think you've got to have some uh, some some airlines do have. I think some some quite um, boring sort of uh, colour schemes, um, but then you do get some airlines which do have quite a, a striking colour scheme, um, and I, which I think looks looks good. On, uh, especially the, I'll tell you the one I do miss is the American Airlines. They used to have the uh, polished aluminium fuselage yes. on the belly yes. underneath, and they they don't they changed that, didn't they? They um, they don't have that anymore. No, but I, I thought that used to look really good. No, I'll tell you a good one, and you'll laugh at this. National Airlines going back on the old DC tens. That was um, a sun. <laughs> Or two suns facing in uh, to each other. You'll have to Google that one now. Have to Google airline, it, yeah. Airline is net, and it's two suns um, facing into each other uh, with a face 
and they're both linked together and that used to be in yellow and orange and white the uh and that was quite that's on the dc10s and that was in the 70s i used to fly them so. before my time <laughs> really <laughs> i'm only a fraction bit uh younger than you simon not not, not too young <laughs> so next piece on the stv news website this is uh regarding uh something that happened last week as well this is uh, ryanair and a passenger attempted to open an emergency exit uh door um, shortly before takeoff, the incident happened at Prestwick Airport in Ayrshire in, on uh, on Saturday evening, uh, as the Ryanair flight was departing to Rome Campino and was taxiing on the runway. An airline spokesman said the delay was caused by the passenger panicking and attempting to leave the aircraft via an overwing exit. Police Scotland said that they are aware of the incident, but nobody had been arrested. Uh, one passenger reported that the man was overpowered, but it's not known if this was by the cabin crew or by other passengers. The incident meant a baggage check had to take place, forcing travellers to wait on board until the flight was given clearance to depart for Italy. A spokesman for the Police Scotland said that the uh, police were made aware of the incident, uh, but as we said, no arrests were made, and a Ryanair spokesman said um, that the flight uh, was delayed by 45 minutes. Um, as the incident uh, happened, uh, as the chap tried to remove this overwing exit door. The aircraft returned to the stand and the passenger was offloaded and Ryanair's engineers reset the door and the aircraft departed for Rome and landed. Um, quite scary, that one. But, yes. I mean, most people do know, I mean, a lot of them, some people don't, but most people do know before the aircraft takes off, it's pressurised. Yes. And... Um, I mean, people probably know this in more depth than the, than the, what we do. But the, the door is 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 um, designed so you cannot open the door outwards; it opens inwards. Yes. Um, and once the aircraft's pressurised, it is. Is it impossible, Pip, to open the door once? It's, I think it is impossible to open the door once the aircraft's pressurised. Um, you certainly don't want to. Uh, you know, I don't think they're pressurised that. You know, while it's on the ground, the pressurization process might start, but it's not. Um, I think if you did open a door, you're not going to, you know, get sucked out or anything mm. like that. Um, but I think I'm right in saying, I think I'm right in saying that as a passenger, you are entitled to get off the aeroplane at any point up until the aircraft actually starts rolling down the runway. So if you change your mind for whatever reason, you do have the right to get off of course that doesn't mean you can go and try and open the emergency exit <laughs> but, uh, i would imagine you, there was quite a decline to fly i'd imagine there's quite a kerfuffle when that happened um i i i know that i'd uh, definitely um um get uh, you know try and stop someone from doing that um but no yeah well i mean if nothing else i mean you don't want the these poor people to open the aircraft and just fall out no it's a long way down. In fact, there have been people, a crew, in fact, have been killed by accidentally falling out of, of aeroplanes. Um, yeah. There's been a few on, on the Aviation Herald, actually. There was a couple last month, I think, wasn't there, a flight crew that fell out from the um, while the aircraft was positioned at the gate and sort of fell out, fell from an open door onto, uh, onto the tarmac below. Yeah, that's right. It's a long way down. Yes, that is, even on a 737, definitely. Yeah. 
So next piece of news uh, is from the Manchester Evening News. This one is um, about Monarch Airlines, and they've flown their last um, A300, Airbus A300 aircraft. Uh, Flown for the last time. Monarch have been an operator of the Airbus now for quite a number of years, and uh, um, they've operated the aircraft in and around Europe, and uh, the aircraft has now been withdrawn uh, withdrew from service. And over 300 Airbus enthusiasts um, uh, paid uh, to have tickets on the last flight, um, which took off uh, last week from Manchester and done a flyby. The plane is uh, going to landed at Birmingham Airport and then was taken um, is going to be taken to the Mojave Desert Airplane Scrapyard in California to be scrapped. The capacity of 360 passengers of the Airbus A300, has, uh, which has been used by Monarch since 1991, and the airline owned four of the aircraft. Um, it was the first wide-body twin-engine airliner used by the, uh, by the company, and the planes have carried over 20 million passengers since being introduced. The aircraft was a 300, uh, Airbus A300-600 series, and... Um, this one was uh, the last one uh, in the Monarch fleet to fly, um, with the other three <coughs> aircraft already being retired. Monarch are also the last airline still to use the Airbus A300 in Europe, with many airlines now switching to the newer and smaller Airbus A321. So that's a sad... Uh, I, that's an aircraft that I haven't flown on before. No, I've, I've flown uh, Monarch, but I've, not the Airbus. I've uh, flown this... Um, I may have actually got, got pictures of flown this one into Toulouse um, uh, back in the 90s, uh, late 90s, when I used to go skiing out in um, Andorra. So um, I have actually um, was probably flown this aircraft, this actual uh, one. I'll have to um, trawl through my photo photographs uh, from uh, years back. Um, yeah, it's, it's an old aircraft, though. It's so a, a really good workhorse, one of uh, Airbus's sort of, um, what you call it, uh, you know, a bit like the TriStar, really. Yes. Um, you know, a good old workhorse has yes. been going for a lot of years. Yes. Have you flown on the A300 before, Pip? No, I don't think so. Uh, you don't see too many of them around these days, do you? No. I've uh, I've not seen the Monarch one before. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think DHL used them, and a few freighter companies still. Use yes, them, they but, do. Uh, um, not many around. Yeah, and um, I know uh, Mojave Desert. I've uh, travelled past this many a times in uh, California, and uh, where all the uh, where the graveyard is uh, for the aircraft um, to be either scrapped or any serviceable parts to be recycled. I'll tell you what, I'd love to have a holiday there. They do I, actually, I, told, I, I, told, I told Gemma that as well. I, I don't I wanna... actually know whether... I've got some <laughs> pictures of that as well. I don't actually know whether they still do the tours um, around the there, but... Um... Got some It'd pictures. be great though, wouldn't it, just to go up and oh, yes, wow. uh, spend a day wandering around? And, oh yes. yeah, because dream holiday. And the, the <laughs> funny thing is, that the aircraft are stored there uh, because it's quite dry, or say quite, it's very dry uh, atmosphere, and it's perfect conditions to store the aircraft without them corroding or anything. But the day uh, I was traveling, uh, driving up from LA um, to Mammoth Lakes in Bishopton, California, um, it was actually raining um, as we stopped off. Um, at the McDonald's uh, on the Mojave uh, turnoff on the 395. And um, uh, just after it stopped raining, I went out and just drove around the corner and stopped and took a load of uh, photos. But it's quite fascinating uh, to have a, a look as close as I could get to it. And um, the amount of aircraft there, there was... Although the um, it's done 
the aircraft are actually the airline's logo is actually covered up but even having said that once it's covered up you can pick you can out still see, yeah. um the klms the virgin atlantics um the UPSs and, uh, the T- and TNTs, yeah. TWIs. Yes, yeah, they're all, all they're all there. Um, but I think they just cover up um, that for a reason. I don't know. Do you know the reason they cover up the uh, airline logo? Mm, no, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the uh, it's just not a good uh, image. I suppose for an airline to have an old rusting. Rusting airframe on yeah. display. I don't know, really. Yes. Don't know. So, Pip, next story then um, on the Business Traveller website that we've got here is uh, regarding in-flight food. Now, Pip, given the choice uh-huh. of a meal that you could uh, have on the flight deck um, on one of your flights, what, what would your um, meal of choice be? Well, i tell you what I actually have had crew meals over the years i had a one time i had foie gras that nice french <laughs> delicacy i've had yes. lobster before lobster and i yeah i've Go you, i've had lobster once before God, that's class that is with, <laughs> really the very the very best meal i ever had was out of uh, a crew meal this is it was out of tel aviv i ordered we get a choice of meal if we can order just a, a cold meal or a pasta meal Something generic, not too specific, but I ordered a crew me- uh, a hot meal. It was a late flight out of Tel Aviv, and my colleague just ordered sandwiches. Now, what I got from my hot meal was a 32-ounce uh, prime steak. It was oh, three, four inches thick easily and a, maybe nine, ten inches long, and it was juicy and succulent and Tender. delicious. That's and just... we were flying Tel Aviv to, to London, I guess. And, and it took me nearly the whole four-hour flight to eat it. Did you uh, have any fries with that or any peppercorn sauce? Because that's just mouthwatering <laughs> and making me so hungry, Pip. <laughs> it was gorgeous. But I tell you, the funny thing was my colleague was sitting there next to me and he had his sandwiches and he was kind of looking at me with puppy dog eyes. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> because <laughs> you, because you there's, nothing, your sandwiches. there's nothing you can do um, because obviously... Um, you have to have your meals made at separate um, areas um, to, uh, just for flight po- um, in like case the... you get um, any uh, food poisoning. So um, I think that's a general rule, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. That, it's all we're, we're not meant to eat the same meal. Yes. Uh, they can come from the same, you know, we use different catering companies at different airports, but yes. we're not both allowed to have exactly the mm. same thing. Yes, right. i tell you what, that's, that's, that's an awesome meal, Pete. I mean, we... <laughs> I've said before. Uh, to Simon, you know, that doesn't happen that often. I'm just picking out three or four. I'm, I mean, we we were lucky years. lucky enough a few years ago uh, when we were on honeymoon. We got upgrade to uh, to Emirates business class on on our way out to the Maldives, and he, I mean, even the, the you know the meal we had you know them on in business class was was just amazing. But I mean that you know having a steak. That'd be oh, that'd be great. It, it was that was a one-off. I, I'm not sure if that will happen again. <laughs> Every time though, I go to Tel Aviv, I, I try and get it. But uh, was, so far, no luck. Was that actually uh, for you to pick off? Do you get uh, a choice to pick off uh, what you'd like, or is that no? No, I get... say it's just a, a sort of generic thing. We can choose a hot meal, so it might be a lasagna, or it might be a, if you're lucky, a steak or, yeah. or something else. Or a cold meal, or a you know a pasta meal, or something like yes. that. But we can't go in and choose off a menu. Say we'll have steak and chips, and so this story then and that sort of thing. regarding in sorry flight, yeah this, the, <laughs> the story regarding in flight food um, is is good if you fly BA um, Pip because BA are to add 
fish and chips to their in-flight menu on uh, short-haul flights. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, passengers on services between Heathrow and Athens, Larnaca, Istanbul, Sofia, St. Petersburg, and Kiev will be the first to taste the latest addition to the in-flight menu. If it proves popular, fish and chips will be extended onto more BA short-haul routes. The meal is served in an environmentally friendly box and will come with vinegar, ketchup and tartar sauce. Sinead Ferguson, BA's menu developer manager, said, What better meal to see on board a summer flight than a traditional British fish supper? We know our customers love food and comfort food, and they expect it to be uh, um, done well with BA when they fly with us. So uh, naturally, they went for sustainable sustainable cod, and they've worked hard with Green Gourmet to make the perfect chip, which in the past has been a challenge to produce at 35,000 feet. And uh, BA are hoping that this will, uh, will hit off well with passengers. So uh, there we go, Pip, if you're ever going to fly with BA on a short-haul flight. Well, I tell you, I do fly BA quite a lot, and I like fish and chips. <laughs> So that sounds like a bit of a winner to me. Yeah, so I think uh, you're going to find this on one of your flights very uh, in the coming uh, sort of months. (laughs) I look forward to that. Okay, Uh, Travel Mole site then. Um, This is something we've talked about on previous podcasts um, about electronic gadgets being used on aircraft and EasyJet are relaxing their rules on electronic gadgets. EasyJet passengers are now able to use their personal electronic devices such as laptops, tablets and mobiles on board throughout the whole flight, including and during taxi and takeoff and landing. The gadgets must be placed in flight mode and mobiles can't be used for making or receiving calls or texts. EasyJet said that the move follows uh, recent recommendations from the European Aviation Safety Agency for restrictions on the use of gadgets on board to be relaxed. Peter Duffy, EasyJet's Group Commercial Director, Customer and Product and Marketing, said that we know that portable devices are an important part of a customer's journey. So we're pleased that we can now let the customer use their electronic devices on board as long as they're in flight mode for the duration of their flight with us. And they think this is going to be a popular change. So do you, do you, I mean, for me, Pip, um, I mean, I'm like yourself, you know, you produce a, a safety podcast. And for me, if I'm sitting um, in the, uh, in you know, in the cabin while the, 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 the uh, cabin crew are doing their safety briefing, you know, I, I even the amount of times I've flown uh, over the course of the years, I watch them. I still listen. I still watch. I still give them the full attention. And I just think that it's a bit um, bad, really, if you're sitting there, you know, with your tablet playing whatever, you know, bird, crazy birds, whatever game on your tablet, not paying attention to the uh, to the briefing. Yeah, I mean, safety implications aside, I think it's just common courtesy to stop and and pay attention to what they're doing. But um, yeah. But I, I must say, I'm, I'm, I've no problem with uh, putting things into flight safe mode and, and using them on the ground and during the takeoff. It's do you on, on the um, on the on the aircraft that you fly? Do you, do you have a, a a cabin attendant or or do you just do the briefings yourself? Or no, we, well, it depends. Uh, we we do have cabin attendants and they'll do the briefings. Sometimes I do them myself. You know, just go back and and say hi and uh, run them through what's what. But uh, you know they're. They're a funny lot, our passengers. They'll either <laughs> give you a full attention or they'll completely ignore you and carry on <laughs> with what they're doing. But you have to give the briefing anyway. That's a legal requirement. So you, 
you give it regardless. If they choose to listen or not, that's up to them. Well, if you ever come to Norwich, Pip, um, just let us know. And uh, me and Simon will, uh, will come and be a passenger and uh, we'll give you our full attention. <laughs> well, I Promise. think I'd have a hard time justifying going on a bit, a, a bit of a jolly, but I'd be happy to show you around the aeroplane next time I'm there. Excellent. Yeah, that's good. So next uh, next piece of news. This one's uh, quite a recent one. The last few days. This one is uh, about a monarch pilots um, who a monarch pilot who gave a watery grave warning to the passengers. Monarch Airlines has launched an investigation after a pilot told passengers there were problems with the plane that could have led them to a watery grave. The flight from Tobago to Gatwick was plagued by uh, technical problems, which led to passengers returning to London three days later than scheduled. The initial delay was caused by a problem with the plane's reverse thrusters, which the pilot compared to a fault experienced by a TIE flight which flipped over in 1999, killing all 213 people on board. As the passengers boarded the plane the following day, the pilot explained that uh, if not repaired, it could have led to them all uh, to a quick watery grave. To make matters worse, the flight then had to make an emergency landing in Barbados after the pilot reported seeing smoke in the cockpit. One of the passengers on the delayed Monarch flight, Mike Blouksman, wrote on Facebook that safety is, of course, the most paramount consideration. But to mention planes flipping over and a watery grave as you wait to take off is totally unacceptable. Monarch Airlines admitted in a statement that the pilot used an inappropriate choice of words and uh, he added that the airline is writing to its customers to let them know the findings of the investigation and to discuss their options for compensation. Not not the sort of thing you really want to hear when you're um, getting ready to take off, is it, Simon? No, no. I'm, not not I'm from a pilot. <laughs> no, I'm surprised that... Um the pilot said this because this you're just putting um you're supposed to make the passengers feel at ease uh, on any flight and um to be saying things like this is just um, what, what do you think about this story pip that's um yeah not the smartest thing for a pilot to have said i'm sure he regretted that the second he said it he must have thought oh that was a dumb thing to say but yeah. uh, no you know i would avoid saying well i wouldn't say that for certain but uh, i try and avoid you know, painting the the uh, any sort of technical details in a negative light. Uh, you dress it up a bit if there is something you need to tell the passengers. I was going to um, say. <laughs> mentioning graves. <laughs> not, uh, no, not that's good. a big no-no as far as I'm concerned. Oh, dear. So uh, we are obviously uh, in Easter, um, full Easter mode at the moment, aren't we, Simon? Yes, yeah. we are. And, and um, it's <laughs> we know uh, what that means. Uh, it can only mean one thing uh, for the airports. This Busy is one time. Of, one of their busiest times outside uh, Christmas. That's it. East EasyJet are preparing for their busiest day ever today, of uh, uh, which is today Friday, um, we, and they're operating one thousand four hundred flights for the first time today. The airline has, as it stands, fourteen hundred and six flights scheduled for today, and with over two hundred thousand passengers jetting off for the Easter holidays. The most popular destinations for passengers across Europe departing on April the 18th are London, Geneva, Milan and Berlin. Catherine Lynn, EasyJet Group Director, said that the combination of Easter and the start of our peak summer flying programme has been strong and it's seen a strong demand for the network. And they're expecting, as we said, to carry 200,000 passengers over this uh, busy Easter day. 
and also Southampton Airport as well are looking forward to a busy Easter weekend. It's expecting 35,000 passengers to pass through its doors between the 17th and the 24th of April. Uh, the big Easter getaway will see passengers jetting off for the sunshine um, from Southampton Airport um, on ski breaks and family get-togethers. So uh, it's definitely, uh, well, it's good weather for a change, Easter, Easter it's weather. It's still a little bit cool and overcast. It's supposed to be warming up, but um, looking out at the moment, we had a shower earlier on, but um, we've got some showers due on, I think, Sunday, mm. um, the weather for Easter is always sort of uh, hit and miss. Do you do you find, Pip, with the with the job that you do, do you find you have busier part times of the year? Um, are you sort of Christmas, Easter, bank holidays, or is it fairly sort of you know even across the year? No, it it is quite seasonal. In fact, you said that for EasyJet was their busiest day. It was our busiest day of the year yesterday, I believe. Uh, we had quite a lot of flights. Uh, yesterday but uh, yeah it, it does tend to pick up well from now really and uh, over the summer into october is our, our high season uh, it picks up again christmas january february for the ski season um yeah it is quite seasonal so october november tend to be fairly quiet but do you get christmas day off <laughs> i have so far been lucky and have always got off what i requested off um, which is for me, it's uh, Christmas Day and Boxing Day is what I always request, and I've always got that so far. Oh, good, good. It's always it can't happen forever, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm lucky. So we, we tend we we get Christmas Day and Boxing Day off. Um, my wife's not always as 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 lucky. She she sometimes has to work literally the day after Boxing Day, but um, but no, I, I don't work uh, the only day the only day that I I. <clears throat> I say don't really want to work, but I do is is New Year's Eve, but that's uh, because of the business I run. Yeah, um, I guess for you that's a, a big business day, isn't it? Yes, definitely for me. Um, even more so this year, we've uh, we've got quite uh, some quite big uh, discos to do in New in New Year's Eve this year, which is good. It's good news for me. Now, I'm always quite happy to work, work New Year's Eve. It's um, it's not a big deal for me, and in fact, I'm more likely to have a party if I go off to work and end up somewhere fun. And uh, if I stay at home, I'll be in bed way before midnight. <laughs> I think I would. I, I'm definitely, uh, definitely can't stay up as late as I used to, Simon. <laughs> even more for you as well, um, Simon. You even with the girls and stuff. Yes, yeah. So uh, we're going to bring the news to a close for this week, then, and uh, we're going to come back in a little while with some uh, military news and um, air, show news. air show news and we've got a special bit um which is uh we have yeah um good for um, all uh, air show people and um it is rather special and um, definitely I'm looking forward to this and uh we're gonna see it at two air shows so. that's it so we're gonna come back after this aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. 
Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. Yes, we do want to hear from you. Do send us your emails and uh, your comments and leave us some on leave us some on Facebook as well. So uh, we're going to do some military aviation and some air show news from Simon. So if you're ready, Simon. Yes, I'm ready. Let's right. go. Let's go. Aviation and their show news. We'll hand you over to Simon. Thanks very much, Carlos. Uh, yes, a uh, very exciting piece of uh, information about uh, regarding uh, the F 35B, which is going to make its uh, debut at uh, Farnborough and Riap this year. Um, to start with, uh, they were only going to be one, but now I, um, I've just found out that there's going to be actually three um, that will be there. Um, one of these will be the uh, UK uh, version, the first UK version, and the aircraft have yet to make their flight across the um, Atlantic, so this is going to be good. 13 years after the full-scale development uh, began, the Lockheed Martin F-35 will make its international debut at Royal uh, International Air Tattoo and at Farnborough Air Show in July this year, the Ministry of uh, Defence have uh, announced on the 16th of April. Lockheed uh, Martin confirms that the uh, short takeoff and vertical landing F-35B, which um, the variant selected to support two air shows in the UK, where the Royal Air Force and Royal Navy plan to operate 138 of these aircraft. And I know that these are going to be based on some of the aircraft, uh, new aircraft carriers that the uh, UK have uh, bought. Yeah, they've had to do some... Some rejigging, I think. Yes, they, they have uh, the aircraft, and uh, because of the vertical takeoff. Yes, yeah. Um, and uh, on the actual uh, ships that they're going to be based on. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to seeing this, Simon. Yes, with the vertical takeoff. You know, I've I've seen that. You know, we've all seen the Harrier. Yes, and um, this is. I suppose you could say, in a way, this has come off um, some of the ideas from the Harrier have come off um, this aircraft uh, being built. Um, so, and uh, the actual fuselage uh, is assembled by BAE Systems, so fifteen um, percent of it. Uh, so it's looking good. And, uh, and if, you, if you want to buy one, Simon, you can uh, you can buy an F thirty five A because we like to give these bits of information on the podcast. If you want to buy one, Simon, it could be yours for a hundred and fifty three point one million dollars. Wow, bargain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You fancy that then, Pip? I've got two of them already. Uh, yeah, really? I was going to say, did you want to go halves? In the driveway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so it's quite exciting uh, this, isn't it, Pip? Because um, um, we're hoping to meet you um, mm. and um, hopefully, um, well, so hopefully uh, we'll all be able to see this aircraft for the first time ever. Um, so it's quite quite an exciting uh, time, uh, uh, 2014, for the air show circuit. Yeah, it'll be tremendous. I'm uh, really looking forward to that. I hope it, uh, it does manage to get across. Yes. Um, also, um, they've actually uh, started making the uh, flight preparations for these aircraft to be... Um, transited over to the uk and one as i said the uh, one of these uh, versions is for the uh, uk anyway so i would imagine this aircraft will be uh, based into the uk um for its delivery uh, maiden flight so um that should be interesting as well mm. um but like i said it's um near enough the same as uh, sort of based on the same sort of uh, idea as the uh, harrier and that was taken out of service far too early which is a shame but um and those aircraft are based at Mojave uh, in storage now and used um, by the uh, American Navy, which is a shame, but um, it's uh, sad as well. Right, the next piece of news, uh, Sikorsky attaches rotors to the CH-53K Grand Test Vehicle. Uh, um, this is a new um, uh, helicopter which is um, uh, being tested and uh, they're actually doing trials on this at the moment. And... Uh, the rotors um, for the GE381B turboshaft engines, uh, so-called shakedown light-off tests uh, by the end of the month. So this is uh, another thing that's um, taking place. And um, this is a, quite a nice aircraft. I know it's sort of similar to the Merlin. That is quite similar, actually. It does look very similar to the Merlin. Yes, yeah. So um, this is uh, on its final uh, tests, uh, which is uh, good. And that'll be um, nice to see this aircraft uh, in uh, in the air again. So, yeah. And the next piece of news is Oman accepts its first F-16 from its uh, new batch of aircraft. Oman has accepted the first aircraft from its second order of Lockheed Martin F-16C slash D in ceremony of the manufacturer's Fort Worth, Texas facility. Karen Service Registration 830, a single... Uh, seat fighter will be referred to Gulf Nation later this month. So uh, that's um, uh, looks quite similar. Looking at this uh, shot we've got on here to the um, uh, Eurofighter Typhoon, doesn't it? It does, yeah, definitely. Um, I know they're completely different, but um, it looks uh, a little bit similar. And um, that um, aircraft is um, quite a nice uh, sight to see at any air show. So. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The next piece of news is uh, Boeing to um, accelerate the C-17 line closure. Yeah, I didn't realise they were they were they were finishing yeah. production of the C-17. Yes, and uh, I thought it was quite a new aircraft. Really. Yeah, it is. Um, they made it at uh, Long Beach, and um, one of uh, our friends or my friends uh, we normally stay with in the US, he's actually uh, retired now, and he was actually um, helped design this aircraft at Long Beach and uh, and plan uh, this, which is a lovely aircraft. And uh, it's a shame, uh, the UK, I think, uh, how many have we got? Have we got six or is it eight? I uh, think it's eight. Pip, um, do you know how many uh, C-17s the UK we've got? Um, I have no idea. I do know that they get very touchy when you go and have a look at their simulator at Farnborough Airport. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they've got a, their sim is set up next to some of ours, and uh, if you go down there and get too close, they come running out and uh, shoo you away. Yeah, I don't know what's so secret in there, but uh, yeah, 
I, I don't know how many we have. Do you that actually first flew, just looking on here, the first flew in 1991. So it's not a hugely old no, aircraft, no, really. No, no. And um, the test, I've got pictures of the actual uh, test flight. And uh, my friend who actually helped design this aircraft, when he retired and moved to another um, secret base in uh, Nevada, he actually um, had all the people he worked with sign uh, the first ever takeoff picture um, of this aircraft. So that was uh, quite interesting. And I've seen that. And it's really nice, uh, nice photo of it taking off at Long Beach. And it had a big, huge nose um test uh rod on the end of it and uh, lots of other things um because it was a test aircraft but um it's quite an uh, impressive aircraft and uh, it's good for short takeoffs and landings mm. and and also uh, long range and i know the uh, uk uh, do use it as a sort of a medical thing from uh, afghanistan back to the uk with uh, casualties so mm. It's, um, its primary users, um, as of as of now, are the United States Air Force, yes. uh, the Royal Air Force, the Royal Australian Air Force, and the Indian Air Force as well. And as of um, the beginning of last year, there was 250 built. Yeah, that isn't that many, really, is it? Um, but and if you want to buy one, they're $218 million. Wow. Well, Again, I've got one in my driveway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming at yours because uh, you sound like you've got a good selection of aircraft. Uh, Pip. His, his Pip's actual surname, I think, is Travolta. Uh, really? He's got a runway yeah, and a hangar. He's got a Boeing 707 as well. <laughs> I've got them all. Yeah. But um, I like this aircraft. Um, I've seen it many a times uh, fly over because um, I don't know about you, um, but we're close or on the flight path um, for RAF Mildenhall Air Base and. Um, we obviously get the uh, Globemasters, the KC-135s, the KC-10s all flying over, um, heading into uh, Mildenhall and uh, numerous other aircraft. Um, so it's quite nice to see them uh, on a regular basis flying over the t- um, over my house anyway and um, seeing them fly in. And I do like this aircraft very much. I prefer this um, I prefer this uh, aircraft to the uh, Hercules, uh, I think. And um, I can just give you a confirm here um, how many and where a lot of these aircraft are. Right. The Australian Air Force, they've got six. Canada have got four. India have got ten. Kuwait have got two. Qatar, four. The United Arab Emirates, they've got six. And the UK has eight. Um, And plus Finland and Sweden have three. Um, One or two others uh, based uh, round around about everywhere, so that gives you an update on how many yeah. aircraft um, each of the sort of main countries have. According to Flight Global site, there's 12 aircraft that are currently in the production process and are yet unsold. Um, but India have options of six of these aircraft, um, plus Algeria, Saudi Arabia, and Singapore, um, who've previously been considered as potential buyers for the remaining aircraft. But uh, it's sad to see that one uh, yes. finished production. Yes, um, it is. And um, obviously these aircraft that are unsold, if no one does buy them, they will be put in a storage um, at Mojave and um, sort of mothballed until uh, ready to go into service with um, whoever intends to buy them. So, yeah. So mm, it does seem a bit before its time, doesn't it? Yes, it yeah, does. Definitely. Yeah, it does mm. very much. You so. mentioned that you prefer it to the, uh, the Hercules just as a, a bit of banter, I, I flew on the Hercules three or four times as a passenger. Yes. And they're really, really cool. You can go up onto the onto the flight deck and you can stand on one of the jump seats. And they have this 
I don't know what you call it, like a, a bell canopy, like a diver's hood almost. Yes. And you can stand up and put your head out and you can look back over across the top of the aircraft, <laughs> back across the wings. Yes. Now, and it's a lot of fun. Yes. Now, I've actually um, got some photos. I'll have to try and get uh, trolleys out. Um, when I was at uh, staying with a friend in California, a uh, local airport uh, down in Bishop, uh, they had a small air show, and the uh, U.S. Navy brought in uh, Hercules, uh, which they use uh, offshore and everything, and I had a chance to go in the aircraft and sit in the cockpit. So um, I understand everything you're uh, telling me about it. It's quite, it's it's a bit like a sunroof, isn't it, in the in the cockpit of the aircraft? Yeah, it, it is. Except that you know it sticks out, so you can put your head, uh, you know, out into the airflow. Yes as it were <laughs> yeah no so yeah it's a, it's a nifty i don't know what the purpose of it is i guess just for the guys to, to be able to inspect the fuselage yes and... yes and um although i um prefer the uh globemaster it doesn't mean i don't like the uh hercules because it's a very very old aircraft and what um are we on at the moment is it the j and i think it's the uh, last current or the current one that they're uh, doing but it is it's quite i find this aircraft quite unique because when it's flying, and I've read this, um, and you must probably confirm this, you look up into the skies and you can't you can't see it, but you can hear that that drone of those engines for many many miles away. Can't it? it's just a distinctive droning uh, noise of those um, prop um, engines going round. What do you think? Yeah, you're right. It's just a few aircraft, aren't there, that just have a very distinctive noise and you can mm. tell immediately what it is. A Spitfire is one of them and a, a Chinook as well. You yes. can instantly oh, yeah. recognise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the V-22, the Osprey. Yes. That's, that's a really interesting noise when that gets going. Yes, and um, you must uh, see these uh, around your area um, quite frequently, do you, Pip? The Ospreys? No, I don't think I've ever seen one outside of an air show. No. Um... We occasionally get a Hercules come doing a low level across the village but um no even those seem to have disappeared lately we don't get much military traffic no, down those, there. i uh, think our nearest uh military place is watersham to the north yes, yeah. yeah yeah we've got all the apaches um because they're yeah they're quite uh frequent uh around here we occasionally see apaches yeah they uh, I, a lot of um sort of night maneuvers and exercises and the ospreys as well uh based at mildenhall um they're quite a regular site over here now so Oh, trust, trust I tell you one of the coolest things I saw, if you're interested. Yes. This is a few years ago. I, I'd just gone to pick up my son from the childminder across the country lanes, and I was just driving back, and a Puma helicopter came whizzing across the uh, the country lane in front of me, very low altitude, 100 feet perhaps. Wow. So I stopped the car, pulled it over, and said to my son, hey, look at this. And this Puma helicopter it stopped maybe 500 meters away from us and hovered and then flew backwards underneath the power lines and up over the top of them, and, and off it flew again. Wow, that, wow. Must that was pretty. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> to do I'm that, not sure of the legality that. of that, but uh, it was yeah, perhaps they were in uh, training or whatever, or um, just come uh, to see uh, uh, show off to you. You never know. They saw you and then decided <laughs> I, to come back. Yeah, <laughs> I think they were just having a bit of fun. I'm sure um, flying underneath power lines is not part of their training syllabus. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. we've got we've got a chap who lives uh, not far from us, Pip, who's got a couple of uh, P fifty one Mustangs. Oh, excellent! And uh, he he regularly, especially on a Sunday, um, he just sort of goes up for a jaunt, really, in one. And uh, we have a lovely free air show uh, above the above the village of the uh, Mustang. He does some really really great 
you know, oh, aerobatic stuff, and just the noise uh, of you know of the engine and that that distinctive um, sort of sort of whine as he does a dive from the Mustang. Yeah, yeah. God, is... I give my left arm to go and fly something like that. Yeah, <laughs> really weird. So uh, the next uh, piece of uh, news, I'm just going to give you a really an update on where we are in the air show season. Um, it's as we said earlier, it's hotting up now, and um, and obviously this is the uh, Easter weekend, so um, we've got the wings and wheels and uh, and rotors. Um, this is at Wolverhampton Halfpenny Green Airport, Staffordshire, and uh, the postcode for that for all the air show geeks out there is DY75DY. I've given this out because um, you can enter that into your sat navs. It's DY75DY um, featuring vintage vehicles, vi- uh, visiting aircraft from all over the UK and it's getting bigger and bigger each year and 2014 is set to be bigger than last year with bookings coming in already from pilots, drivers and trade stands. So that is, if you live in that area or you're thinking of something, an air show to go to, um, that is possibly um, the place to head to. And then the next one is um, Old Buckingham, uh, just up the road from uh, us, uh, Wings and Wheels. Um, it's on the 27th of April. And our entry is free to all classic car owners. And there's no landing fees for pre-1966 aircraft. And, um, so that is NR17 1PU. Um, entry on the ground is just £5 per person. £10 per carload of people. So that's a pretty good day out and a cheap one at that. What do you think of that? I'm definitely up for that. Yeah, so uh, that's good. And obviously, um, there's more air shows uh, coming in May, but we'll give you those uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, obviously, I've got the um, Duxford Air Show, which I'll, I'll be attending um, at the end of the month. And possibly Carlos is coming, but um, that's a D Day anniversary air show. Um, and uh, they're give you a lot of uh, the aircraft that will be flying there. As of, I think I've done that last week. Um, just keep an eye on the Duxford uh, website if you uh, wish to uh, be updated uh, with the uh, flying display because um, most of these um, sites now are getting updated uh, on a daily, uh, weekly basis uh, due to uh, uh, the uh, timescale and the fast approaching the air show season as we speak. So um, it's well worth it. And uh, the Red Arrows, they are still training. Um, I think I've got about 54 more displays uh, to practice uh, before they're given uh, official uh, air show worthiness for the 2014 50th birthday celebration. So that's something to look forward to. And they should be back at the end of um, next month. And uh, we sort of uh, look forward to that and wish them well uh, on their practice Um so, uh, Pip, are you looking forward to seeing the Red Arrows on their 50th birthday then? Oh, yeah. It's always good to see the Red Arrows. Yes, it is. Um, they are a crowd puller, and um, their new 50th uh, anniversary uh, logo is quite um, special. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen the pictures. Yeah. So that's not good. Now, I've seen, um, as I said earlier, I've seen the, the Italian display team, and I saw in Chicago one of the American display teams. Oh. I forget which one now. No, and it, they were good. But I, the I have Angels? to say, without being biased, I really think the Red Arrows are just a cut above all yes. the other teams out and, there. Uh, do you know, do you know um, when they went over to the US, even the, um, even the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds did actually say, um, near enough sort of said it um, to everybody when they're interviewing them on the TV that they are the best. So, But each um, display team is uh, obviously going to say they're the best because they want to be the best. But um, the Red Arrows do take some beating, and uh, they are a crowd puller. And um, yeah, definitely. Um, 
One display team of or two of yet to see are the Snowbirds, which is a Canadian uh, display team, and the Blue Angels. I've seen the Thunderbirds when they came to Riyadh quite a few years back, and they're they're something else. And uh, if you listen to their chit chat on the scanners and um, airways as they're displaying, it's quite it's quite uh, interesting and uh, exciting to listen to. And I always listen to the Red Arrows as well. But um, you say you didn't know which. Um, display team you saw now what color were the aircraft and oh, I, I can't remember this was um this was the mid 90s uh, it was a long time ago now and i were they blue and yellow to be in chicago uh i can't remember i've got a feeling they were f-16s um, possibly i think you may be uh, um maybe the thunderbirds then um because there's the white um red white and blue ones um and I've got some pictures of them on my Facebook yeah, page. So I can't remember. They were doing a display out over the lake, uh, and I saw it from a distance, in fact. Yes. But, um, yeah, they were, they were very good. Yeah. Not quite as good as they were. Yeah. What um, display teams, apart from the Freeze Trickle, have you uh, seen the Patrol de France? They're a good display. I've seen them display at Duxford. I like their display. It's quite colourful. Yeah, I'm sure I must have seen them at some point. Um, I remember in. as a kid going off to the Mildenhall uh, show with my uncle. Yes. And they always had some great displays up there. Yeah. Now, I'm going to have to ask you, um, I've actually seen it flying, and the one they've got in the Duxford Aviation Museum, the SR-71A Blackbird. Can you remember seeing that flying? Mm, no, I don't think I was that lucky. That was in the 90, late 80s. So. 86 and 87, I saw that flying, and 88 and 89. And, yeah. Um, and I th- think I've seen uh, up at Milton Hall uh, maybe a couple of B-52s. And that, uh, that other one, was it called? A, a B- Rockwell? Yeah, the Rockwell Lancer, the B-1. B-1B. Yeah, the B-1B. And then yeah. you've got the B-2. Have you seen that? Which is just the uh, wing. That was at Riyadh the um, year before last. The stealth aircraft. No, I haven't seen that flying, actually. No. Yeah, no, I've not seen that. That's quite eerie. That was on the ground uh, a few years back um, when they had the really bad uh, weather and storm. But, um, yeah, the uh, SR-71A Blackbird. I don't think there's any other aircraft at the moment that's... Um, that can beat it on speed, and to, to this day, that's still my favourite aircraft of any aircraft. And uh, and when I saw that flying, I'll never forget the day. And I have some photos of that, a really sort of grainy on that. That was a heavy rain day, but it's a shame the Mildenhall Air Fate is is no more because that was that was an experience, and you felt as though you were in America that. Um, during that air show, because all the Yanks have uh, the Budweiser and uh, <laughs> and the um, cold uh, cokes and the Polish sausage, mm. and it was just so well organised and uh, such a. It's been great... a few years since they had that one, right? Yes, Milton it has, Shell. and uh, such a great atmosphere as as you can most probably uh, remember. Yeah, I was just a kid when I went there, but uh, yeah, it was it was always a good air show. Yes, and uh, it's uh, hard to uh, imagine uh, back all those uh, years that the aircraft that were flying and uh, most of those aircraft are now uh, no longer flying. But mm. it's such a great, uh, great, great air show, and um, I uh, really uh, sadly miss it. There was talk that it was coming back, and they do have a special um, RAF Feltwell uh, sort of uh, air show, which is at Milton Hall. So. But it's such a shame. Um, but we have got. Um, we are quite lucky in the UK to have such a, a vast amount of air shows uh, throughout the air show season um, mm. to go to. So I really enjoy them, and um, there's always some good ones to go to. And you did say about the old warden uh, Pip, didn't you? 
Uh, yeah, the Shuttleworth collection over yes. at Old Warden, yes. just uh, on the other side of Bedford here. Yes. Yeah, that's a great one. They do, I don't know, maybe half a dozen displays per year. Yeah. Uh, and they have, it's all vintage aircraft, um, yeah. World War One, World War Two era. Yeah. Uh, but what they do, they have these evening uh, air displays and they have often they have fireworks up. And if you're very lucky, if the if it's a totally calm, no wind evening, they'll get out the the really really old aircraft. These I think they're 101 years old now. These aircraft, they're wow. the original Wright Brothers era aircraft. It's just a sort of a deck chair stuck on a, a plank of wood almost. Oh, wow! Uh, and it's amazing. I saw them once flying, and they they almost hover. They barely move across yes. the sky. But it's yes. amazing to watch. Yes, now that that sounds uh, similar to an aircraft that I've actually flown in uh, from Air Atlantic at Coventry Airport, the Twin Pioneer. I don't know if you... Uh, oh, I don't know that one. Um, it's an ex-REF uh, aircraft, and it was the only one flying. I don't know whether it's flying at the moment, um, but Air Atlantic had a lot of aircraft and a lot of vintage aircraft, and uh, that is an aircraft that um, I enjoyed flying in. Now, you're saying about the old warden there. Uh, you answered my question, actually. I was going to ask you about the evening fly-ins and um, evening air shows, because if you get a nice sunset or a nice summer's evening where there's hardly any wind or anything, it'd be quite in, quite enjoyable to have that in the evening because you can get a nice sort of atmosphere, really. Oh, it's, it's lovely. You, they're not too packed either. Not many people there at all. You can go along with the kids and, and take your picnic. And... Yeah. That must be uh, quite nice just sitting there having a, perhaps a yeah, pen and a, um, a nice sandwich or whatever in uh, evening uh, air shows it just yeah there aren't that many about yeah and it's lovely and of course you your admission into the uh, air show lets you uh, wander around all the hangars there as well yes. so you can have a look at all the old aircraft there i think there's also a zoo there for the kids and oh, various other bits and it's a cracking day out yeah i'm gonna have to get um some more information from you at a later date and uh try and uh, go there because what you're telling me it sounds really really interesting and uh something uh, that i haven't actually uh, done yeah so mm, it's uh, great and of course if uh if you've got the means you can fly into that air show as well yes that does, uh, so uh, carlos once he finishes his ppl can uh, <laughs> fly you in there uh, yes oh yes. yeah i've got, I've got now, a few hours to go is it? it does actually oh, say right. here um it's got shuttleworth season premiere air show which is on the 11th of may here um i'm just getting the website up um i'm on their collection here yeah 20th of april um it's got a classic easter motor show and air show so that looks uh, quite interesting and uh, and uh, there's an ad on there for a pound off on the door so oh, even better. adults eight pound children four <laughs> so yeah okay so um we're gonna do our in focus aircraft of the week segment and then we're gonna do a bit of a Q&A with pip yeah. if that's all right pip of course yeah Look forward to it. excellent so we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll well, stop now for a second and leave you and come back after this. And now it's time for our in focus aircraft of the week. Right. So our in focus aircraft of the week. Then we put these on Facebook each week for uh, to you to choose from the listeners. And via Facebook and emails, um, we have had our air chosen aircraft. Uh, the list we had were the Boeing KC-135 Stratotanker, the Boeing P-8 Poseidon, the Vickers VC-10, and the Hawker Siddeley Nimrod. And um, we were kind of, um, or Simon was kind of basing these on a civilian 
aircraft converted to military use theme. And uh, the winner uh, was the Vickers VC-10. Is that uh, one of your favourites, Pip, before we start? It is, yeah. Um, I think I flew on that aircraft years ago. God, he's lucky. On a, on a civilian one, not a, not a military. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to come and move in with you, Pip. <laughs> <tell> you what. <laughs> I'll be your friend forever. Yeah. <laughs> So the Vickers... but a bit of, a bit of a bone to pick with you though. This this uh, week's aircraft had a, a, a transport, uh, sorry, civilian transport converted for military use, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, the aircraft I fly is a uh, civilian aircraft converted for military transport. I didn't see that on the list. HS one two five. Simon, oh, that's your fault, Simon. <clears throat> we'll hold you responsible for that. <laughs> right. Still in use, in fact, with the Queen's flight. Yes. Mm. Oh, thanks. You're, you're going to have to come on more often, Pip. Um, yeah. Because um, <laughs> well, no, well, well no. for those of you who do listen, who listen to the last show, Pip is um, is hopefully going to be a regular contributor to the show, um, sending us a little uh, snippet each week to play on the show. If you listen to from his plane safety podcast, um, we put it in the last episode. We had some good feedback from that, Pip. So um, yeah, we did good. Yes, we did. It was some good feedback, and everyone enjoyed it, which is good. Yeah, and another bit, um, going back to the Queen's flight, um, I don't know whether you're, you're like me. Um, I normally go down at Southwold and watch the Queen's flight um, all form up. Um, so that is something I uh, do. Do you ever do uh, watch the Queen's flight? For the big parades, you mean? Yes, uh, for Troop Nicola, her birthday. Um, cause, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't go down there to see it, but uh, actually I go in and out of Northolt, RAF Northolt, quite a lot, so I'd, uh, we always see them down there. They've got their 146, yeah. uh, a couple of HS-125s and a, some sort of helicopter as well, I yeah. think. No, I enjoyed it last year because uh, obviously last year, or this year, the uh, TriStar is now retired and the VC-10 is retired. So oh, don't, because um, you'll upset me, Simon. Um, I'm trying to find out, uh, normally get a list of uh, in the coming months of what aircraft to fly on the Queen's flight. Um, and uh, um, it's quite uh, quite interesting every year because uh, to watch. Normally, uh, well, last year and the year before, a hawk normally appears on the scene on his own to start with just to check the weather and the cloud base out. And then all of a sudden the aircraft will start forming out over the North Sea and they'll keep going around in circles over um, Lowestoft and uh, sort of Southwold areas um, before they make their, before they head away about 20 past 12 um, down towards the Mall uh, in London. And um, the red arrows are always last at the end of the queue. But uh, we, last year it was good. We had, a, we had two VC-10s, a TriStar, um, we had the new Voyager tanker, uh, the AWACS, uh, the Reds, Hawks, Typhoons, Tornadoes, um, and any other aircraft that I've forgotten on that. Um, but it's quite interesting to watch them all grouped up in formation and flying down together. Um, obviously, they're spaced apart, but it's interesting to watch. And uh, North Holt um, is quite a good area to watch it from, um, but I've never been down to there. So... Um, you can perhaps uh, give us a little bit more information on that. Probably not, actually. Um, they uh, they sort of keep themselves to themselves down there at North Holt. Yes. Um, there's one side of it civilian and the other side is military. Yeah. And you'll sometimes see them. They'll bring the 146 across and, and have the red carpet out, but uh, they keep you at a distance. Yeah. Yeah. They actually, um, 
if get me if I'm wrong, it's the actual typhoon. Um, do they uh, land a typhoon at that airport? They have done. They did over the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing quite a few fast jets in there. There were some tornadoes and hawks and all kinds of things. Yeah, because it had um, It's not the longest runway in the world. No, it's um, fairly short. Yes, because um, I remember the pictures, um, the typhoon having to come into land. It was quite, um, quite low coming over the road and they had to... Um, it had to really get a low approach to land at this uh, runway and quite, it's, uh, quite short and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, if I think they had uh, arrestor cables installed temporarily at least for, for those aircraft yes. in the Olympic yeah. period. Yeah. So then the in-focus aircraft of the week, the Vickers VC-10. Uh, the Vickers VC-10 is a long-range British airliner designed and built by the Vickers Armstrongs Aircraft Limited first flown at Brooklands in Surrey in 1962. The airliner was designed to operate on long-distance routes from shorter runways of the era and demanded excellent hot and high performance for operations from African airports. The performance of the VC-10 was such that it achieved the fastest London to New York crossing of the Atlantic by a jet airliner, a record still held to date for a subsonic airliner. Only the Super Concorde uh, was faster, and the VC-10 is often compared to the larger Soviet Aleutian IL-62, both aircraft having a rear-engined quad layout. The two types being the only airliners with such a configuration, a configuration they uh, shared with, and uh, but the earlier, um, the smaller Lockheed Jetstar. Although only a relatively small number of VC-10s were built, they provided long service with BOAC, or British Overseas Aircraft Corporation, and other airlines from the 1960s to the 1981. They were also used from 1965 as strategic airlifters for the Royal Air Force, and ex-passenger models and others were used as aerial refuelling aircraft. The 50th anniversary of the first flight of the prototype VC-10 Golf Alpha Romeo Tango Alpha was celebrated with a VC-10 retrospective symposium and the official opening of a VC-10 exhibition at Brooklyn's Museum on the 29th of June 2012. The type was retired from RAF service on the 20th of September 2013 and it has been succeeded in the aerial refuelling role by the Airbus A330 MRTT. So the aircraft then first flew 29th of June 1962 and was introduced into service with BOAC on the 29th of April 1964. Retired from the Royal Air Force, as we said, on the 20th of September 2013 and its primary users were BOAC, East African Airways, Ghana Airways, and the Royal Air Force. A total of 54 were built of the aircraft, with a unit cost each of £1.75 million. And some other info on the uh, characteristic stats of the aircraft. It had a, a crew of four with three flight attendants, had a capacity of 151 passengers and was 158 feet 8 inches long with a wingspan of 146 feet 2 inches and a empty weight of 139,505 pounds with a maximum takeoff weight being 334,878 pounds. It was powered by four Rolls-Royce Conway Mark 301 turbofans, producing 22,500 pounds of thrust each. 
It had a maximum speed of 580 miles an hour, which is 933 kilometers an hour, and had a range of 5,850 miles, or 9,412 kilometers. Had a service ceiling altitude of 43,000 feet, and a thrust to weight ratio of 0.27. So there we have it, uh, the VC-10, our in-focus aircraft of the week. Um, there's one of these at uh, Duxford, isn't there, Simon? Yes. Of these aircraft. Yes, um, and it's um, available for you to uh, actually go on board uh, when it's open, uh, the opening days. Most probably air show days is the best bet to go on that. That's day. in the BOAC colours, that one, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is. Um, yeah, it's quite old. Uh, needs a little bit of uh, tender love and care on that now. And a lot of the aircraft that stand outside, obviously the weather in the UK uh, does take its toll on them, but they do uh, refurbish them uh, every so often. And um, it's quite um, a nice aircraft to go on. Have you ever been on this at all, Pip? The, uh, the one at Duxford? Yes. Uh, I've certainly seen it at Duxford. I can't remember if I've been on board. Yeah, they sometimes don't have it open all the time. I think it's... it. I, I was asking a chap who, who was there before, and apparently the, um, the commercial aircraft they have on display at Duxford are not actually owned by Duxford. They're owned by a, a separate um, charity-run yeah, uh, group of people who, who look after the aircraft, um, and they obviously have to staff them with their own people on yeah. the open days. So they sometimes aren't always open. Yeah. Um, but there's one as uh, a former Amman Royal Flight VC-10, which is on display at the Brooklands Museum as well yes. uh, in the UK. Yes, and I think um, there's quite a lot based. Uh, a lot of the VC-10s have been retired, or it's a lot. Of, they're all retired now, um, but some are uh, at Bruntingthorpe and some are at Dunsfold. So um, they're all in storage down there. There's one at uh, Cornwall. Yes, Newquay in Cornwall, uh, a museum. Um, and there's also one at the Royal Air Force Museum in Cosford. Yes, yeah, I would imagine that's uh, good. I've never been to Cosford, um, but it's a good place to go. So there we go, the VC-10. We're going to put uh, another list of in-focus aircraft for you to choose from uh, on our Facebook page again for the next episode. And just one two five. Well, I'm Tell sure we'll get that put up uh, one uh, week. Um. Actually, <laughs> it is it is actually my, technically my turn this week for the in focus aircraft, Simon. So I could do a a, a smaller um, a commercial we private could, jet we kind could, of thing. Yeah, we could um, put this in. Mm. Well, what do you think? Let's put it. Let's put it in. Yeah. What do you think? Let's put it in as the uh, yeah. air focus yeah. aircraft next yeah. week. Just, we just tell you what, Pip. Just for you, we will put uh, the Hawker in in our in hey, focus aircraft. <laughs> Pip's going to be employing loads of people now to go on Facebook and vote for that aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll put that in for next week. So um, that'll be good. Excellent. Cool. Right. So we'll leave that then, and we'll come back for a good Q and A uh, with Pip after this. So as you know, we have on the show this week, Pilot Pip, and uh, Pip produces his own podcast, the Plane Safety Podcast, each week. And uh, 
yep, he's on the show with us. He's been on uh, on this episode having a, a chat as well. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna focus on you now, Pip. Put you on the spot. Mm. Um, so Pip, just uh, a, a bit about really where your passion of aviation started. Then was it uh, you know at a very young age or? Yes, it was. Um, as far back as I can remember, really, I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, certainly since about the age of six, seven, eight years old, something like that. Um, and I remember on a family holiday once in what was Yugoslavia, going up in a, an old Cessna 172 with my granddad uh, and go to the air shows, as I mentioned already, the Milton Hall Air Show and the Biggin Hill Air Show. Uh, so, yeah, so since a very young age, yeah, you've uh, so you've uh, been been at Biggin Hill then, because um, that's a lovely uh, little uh, place to go, and uh, that's back. It is. On. Well, I, I grew up around there. In fact, Biggin Hill. Yeah. Um, and it's back this year. I understand. Yes, it closed yes. Down for a few you've years, answered didn't my it, question again. Uh, you're you're reading my mind. Um, <laughs> I, I've been uh, to Biggin Hill twice now, and uh, both times um, I really enjoyed myself there. And um, it's a privately owned uh, airport, and. Uh, it's uh, really enjoyable, and I'm glad they brought it back this year. I'm hopefully uh, going to go um, to that um, this year, which I think is on Saturday, the 14th of June, correct me if I'm wrong. But, yeah, I do um, do like that, and I think they're trying to get it as big as it used to be. Um, cause yeah, it used to be one of the the bigger ones, didn't it? Yes, and um, a lot of people don't know this, but if you stand at the uh, right end uh, where the uh, aircraft take off, and it's on, on uh, Facebook, uh, not Facebook, it's on uh, YouTube, and there is uh, um, the red arrows were actually uh, getting ready to take off one yet, and they blasted all the smoke on, and they blasted it through the fence and covered everybody in uh, smoke and uh, dye, and um, all the all the banners that were actually uh, fastened to the fence were all got completely blew off by the VC10 and the TriStar taken off from there. So that was that's quite an uh, enjoyable to watch, um, but that is a it's a lovely little place to go, and um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I would rate that as one of my sort of um, top places to go. So, Pip, the um, the aircraft that you fly, the Hawker, um, is is that the the only aircraft you you are uh, licensed to fly, or have you um, flown other aircraft? It's the uh, at the moment, it's the only valid one on my license. I yeah. think my Beach nineteen hundred rating is expired now. They're only valid for five years. Um. But uh, yeah, I've flown. I've flown a number of other aircraft uh, before. I was flying up up here at Cranfield uh, Aerial Survey uh, aircraft, Cessna four hundreds. Uh, these are twin engine piston aircraft. Uh, also Chieftains and a, a few other bits and bobs. Um, but my, the first aircraft I got into was gliders. Actually, uh, I got a a summer job up at uh, Kenley Aerodrome when I was about fifteen years old. And learnt to glide. Yeah. So that was my first taste of, of flying. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been gliding now for quite a few years. It's something I want to get back into. Yeah, um, uh, but it's just time and money, unfortunately. So, what's yeah. the uh, what's the Hawker like to fly then? Oh, it's a dream. It's a dream. It's a lovely aircraft. As I said earlier, it's uh, it's the basic design is is quite old, fifty years old now. Uh, although the ones that we have are obviously not that old. They're quite modern, five or six years old. Yes, now I've uh, got a picture of the uh, aircraft up here, and it looks quite an impressive um, aircraft. Um, one that's on the picture I've got here has got the winglets. Do you have oh, the winglets yeah, on winglets, yours? Yeah. Hawker 8, 
50 or the 900s oh, okay. uh, we have the hawker 800s yes uh, they're, they're almost identical in fact they are identical it's just the, the winglets um, yes. which is rumored to give it slightly better performance although yeah. uh, people do question that it looks like uh, but it's a great aircraft it's a real uh, workhorse and it's built like a brick as well yeah it's a really strong sturdy <clears throat> aircraft if i think there was one down in africa not so long ago that took a missile into one side of it and still managed to carry on flying quite happily. The engine, the actual engines that are powering that, they've got quite a good thrust um, on those. It, it, I, I'm guessing that's quite a sort of pocket rocket to fly. Oh, it is. It's fantastic, especially when it's light. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. I'd like to do it all the time. If you just pick it at the end of the runway, hold it on the brakes and uh, set the power, then let go of the brakes and it'll really throw you back into the seat. Yeah. And it will climb like a, like you say, like a rocket. Could easily get ten thousand feet a minute out of it, which is just phenomenal. So you fly with, uh, you obviously fly with a, a co-pilot uh, with yeah. you. Yeah. Is does that is that sort of a does that change? Do you have the same same guy with you or same uh, girl with you or you know? Um, it depends. Sometimes you might swap two, three, four times in the course of a week, or other times you'll you'll just stay paired together as a crew. It, it really depends on the scheduling department. Yeah, so um, I'm looking at the. Um, we just we just we're just looking at the uh, the the Hawker 800 uh, information here. Just uh, having a quick uh, run through here. First flew in 1983. Bit. June the 26th. Mm, no, no, much earlier than that. That must earlier? be the when the production was taken over from British Aerospace. Yes, that is. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. who are? Yes, uh, yeah. An American. Yeah. Before that, it was share of space back in the fifties or something. That's yeah. it. Nineteen seventy-seven. There we go. No, even earlier than that. Oh, that's earlier than that. Yeah, as I say, it's it's fifty. It celebrated its fiftieth birthday last year. Ah, well. See, that's why we have these people on the show. You see, Simon. Yes, you see, so the pilot right. Pip put us right. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah produced between 1983 and 2013. That's the Raytheon. Yeah, the Raytheon. Uh, that's the yeah Hawker yeah. Raytheon. Maybe if you go back and look up uh, Hawker Sidley, one two five. In fact, that must be the HS Hawker Sidley. Yeah. So even before even before they became British Aerospace. Yeah. Oh yeah, got you. I've got it here in front of me now. Yeah, we can see there. Oh, yeah. So, what is your um, uh, most memorable flight, if uh, I can ask that, that you've had so far? Ooh, just on the Hawker or any aeroplane? Um, on any aircraft. Yeah, any aircraft, yeah. Mm, I once flew as a teenager, I can't remember what it was called, but there was this glider, this huge, great big glider, but it was an open cockpit. Uh, so you got strapped in and you're just out in the airflow. Uh, it's quite, it's big but flimsy. So you kind of, you can poke your head out over the edge and look down and it's, yeah. it's totally different from being in, a, in a, an enclosed aircraft. I mean, it had the glide qualities of a brick, to be honest. You <laughs> went up in the air and came straight back down again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I remember that one for a long time. I yeah. think that was phenomenal. Yeah. What's uh, if we had to ask and Simon uh, Pip? Sorry, uh, what uh, your uh, favourite all-time passenger aircraft to fly? And it's something I asked uh, Jeff when we had him on the show. Yes, um, I remember. Oh, so your if you know, if you could go if you could go to to Heathrow or Gatwick or somewhere now and and get on an aircraft, what would be your choice of aircraft? 
Goodness me, that requires some serious research and thought. <laughs> um, a current flying aeroplane. I suppose if I could pick any, if we're really going into fantasy land, then I'd obviously choose a Concorde or a Comet or something like mm. that. But yeah. a current aircraft, I think I'm going to have to give the same answer Captain Jeff gave, and that's the 747. Mm. I'd yeah, love yeah. to fly that. I don't know quite what it is about that aircraft, yes. but it's something a little bit special about yes. that one. Now, have you, you know, the, carry on. The A380s or the you know the the big uh, Airbuses they're nice but they don't sort of really get the heart pounding like a, a 747 <laughs> does. I, I must admit when we flew on on the 380 in January it it was awesome to see it outside the um, outside the gate at Heathrow before we flew to Dubai. But um, once you're on board, yes, it's big, it's a, it's a grand aircraft, but I I don't know I'd I'd, I'd have loved to have been on the 747. Yes, and uh, they're still making a stretch version of the uh, 747, aren't they? The 800 series, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lufthansa are the only air, airline who are currently um, using those for for passenger. Yes, at the moment, uh, but I'm sure there'll uh, be a few more. Um, yeah, so uh, let's. Uh, can I ask you about? Um, have you ever flown? Um, sort of close by to another aircraft while you've been flying, um, that you've been within able, safety. Really. Yeah, that you've um, <laughs> that's caught your eye or it's been interesting. Well, I, I've done formation flying before. Really, uh, at university? I, yeah, I uh, joined the university air squadron at university, which is a part of the Royal Air Force Reserves. Uh, I always wanted to go into the air force. That's what I wanted to do. Yes. I wanted to fly fast jets. Yes. Uh, so I joined the university air squadron and. and completed the first section of the syllabus of the training. Yes. Um, so I've, I've done that, um, but it's probably not what you mean, is it? You mean uh, some sort of close encounter that yes, wasn't planned? Yes, yes, Um. No, I don't think so. Not not in the commercial world, anyway. It's so highly, sort of tightly regulated. Yes, yeah. Uh, they're fairly rare occurrences. I suppose back in my GA days, I used to own a, a share in a Cessna 150 based down at Shoreham Airport, oh, and I man. wish I still did. I started to fly one of those brilliant aircraft. Yeah, that's, if, you, if you ask me what uh, my all-time favourite aircraft is, maybe that would be in the top five, the Cessna 150. Yeah, it's such a, a, for, for me, when I, when I first started flying when I was 21 and I took my first lesson, um, Simon, if you if you ever have a chance to do a, you know, a, a flight, sort of a, sort of a, a lesson as such, they're just... You just, I don't know, it's just so easy to fly. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, hard to say. Perfect. But they're such Docile. a... style. Yeah, they're just, you know, you, you know, the throttle, you've got a simple yes. throttle control and, and everything, and it's it's great. It's an awesome aircraft yes. to fly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the Concorde um, is uh, is a great aircraft, which you said, and uh, my, uh, I treated my mum uh, back in 1994 for her birthday. Uh, I think it was her 60th birthday. Treat me and my brother. She had a flight over the Bay of Biscay in the Concorde um, with British oh, Airways, lovely. and uh, that was supersonic. And, uh, unfortunately, it's not flying. It could have still been flying, but obviously mm. costs that have um, done it now. Um, but I don't know if you're aware, the uh, one at Duxford, uh, the Concorde, they have actually got the uh, nose cone uh, in full operational uh, working order again. The actual droop nose. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's in uh, full uh, working order. Um, it's on uh, YouTube and... Uh, on certain days, they're going to actually uh, be showing that off, so that'll be interesting to see. So, for the future, oh. then, uh, Pip, what what do you see yourself doing? So, are you, are you going to continue, uh, you know, your, the flying as you are now, or do you do you want to progress to something um, bigger, or are you sort of happy in the 
in the uh, jump or the seat as you are now. Yeah, I'm, for the time being, I'm quite happy. I'm uh, still uh, sort of relatively new to the game. I've only been doing it for 10 years. I mm. hope there's still many more decades to come. But yeah, I'd love to uh, at some point fly other aircraft. Um, I'd love to pick up a flying instructor, actually. That's one of the, the things uh. on my list of goals to achieve. Uh, I was very lucky when I first got my license. I found a job pretty quickly. But uh, otherwise, I would have uh, got my instructor rating and, and built up the hours to doing that. So it was, you know, a good thing that I found a job. But unfortunately, that's a, a bit of uh, something I missed out on. So I'd like to go back and do that. Again, it's just a, a time and money thing. Well, mostly a money thing, to be honest. But uh, that's it. That's the it's thing. on the list. That is the thing. Learning to fly is not uh, not the cheapest uh, thing. It's not, certainly not the not, cheapest no. hobby to have, anyway. But I've got a very understanding wife, um, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Pip, just I'm going to have to ask you this because <laughs> go on, because I am going to have to ask it's, um, your views on the L1011 TriStar. Now, don't laugh, Simon. You knew I was going to ask this. <laughs> but, Pip, yeah, your views on the L1011 TriStar. I'm with you here, Carlos. That was one of my uh, pin-up aircraft as a mm. kid. I remember I had a big poster of it on the on the ceiling. Uh, used to get, do you remember there was this magazine, a monthly magazine called Airplane or something Airplane, like that? Airplane, that's it, yeah. Uh, yep, yep. And, and each each time it would come out with a sort of a double, pull-out. Double page uh, spread. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, and I had them all, and I stuck them up on the wall. But the TriStar yeah. was uh, definitely one of my um, sort of pinups. You know, most kids had, I don't know, football players or mm. girls oh. even on their wall. But uh, now I was a bit sad and had yeah, yeah. <laughs> and TriStars and things well, like that. Definitely, and we, and we did actually mention it earlier um, that um, I think it's either four between four and six of these L ten eleven TriStars that are um, current, oh, yes. Yes. currently uh, getting uh, ready to be uh, put back into the sky again. So that is. Made Carlos's, uh, that made my day when I heard uh, that made, news. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I can't remember exactly whereabouts it is in uh, there, actually. It's a foreign um, We lost, We did area. have the news feed, but I lost the news feed on that. But, yes, yeah. a company is – they're going to put four back into – I don't know what, in, into what particular service they're going to put them back into, yeah. but they're going to put them back – into in a flying service anyway for some reason i'm just trying to scramble and find something on it but um we might have to put that in the next episode but yeah that mm, was i think there good. are still one or two flying aren't there in i don't know some third world country somewhere they've got the yeah. freighter or something well i i thought there was um some in uh, across sort of thailand way there was a there was an airline that had um three or four but i think even that they have got rid of theirs now as well They've retired them from service. They're actually online to buy. I've actually seen some some of them online to buy, um, which is. I think I think it's gone before its time. I know it's an old aircraft pit, but I I me personally, I think it's it's gone before it's. I think it's an awesome aircraft, um, built really well. Obviously, it was it must have been built well because the RAF have been using them for um mm. for for the, as many years as they have. But um, yeah, well, very nice looking aircraft. I can always remember as a child on the, on the British Caledonian one that I flew on, um, you know, flying back. I forget where it was now. I was I was very young then, but still remember it quite plainly. I had the entire centre section of seats to myself. And I just thought it was amazing. <laughs> I, had, I had so much room, but I was a lot uh, smaller then. But uh, just the roar of those Rolls-Royce RB211 engines is, um, is, is brilliant. Such a great uh, noise. And you can stand next to one of those as well at Duxford. 
Yes. They've got uh, got an RB211 engine in the uh, hangar you can actually yes. stand next to. And we can't even believe that you've tried to turn your van into a... Le- <laughs> you had to bring that up, Simon. Yes, you're not going to believe this, Pip. He's got a L1011 TriStar um, stickers on the side of his van, white van, and he's got the light bars on the front and um, lights on the front. And when you go inside, you think you're in a cockpit of a TriStar because it's so funny, but it's funny in a good way. Right, we'll edit that piece <laughs> that's, out. Uh, <laughs> well, that's no. a bit worrying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Need to get out more. <laughs> I yeah. Excuse me, I do get out more. Thank you very much. No, no, no. I, I It's just, oh, Simon, I can't believe you've told the entire world. So if you see an L1011 TriStar <laughs> van floating about um, Norfolk and Suffolk, you'll know whose it is. <laughs> Thanks for that, Simon. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, okay, so... Um, well, it's uh, it's been awesome having you on the show, Pip. It's been lovely. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, thank you very much yeah. uh, for coming on to our show. And, yeah. um, and we wish you all the best with uh, the Plane Safety Podcast. Tell tell the listeners as well where they can uh, where they can find you, Pip. They can get me on iTunes, of course. Just search for Plane Safety Podcast. Uh, the website is planesafetypodcast dot com. It's a bit basic at the moment. That website. I I did tinker with it earlier in the week, so it's not quite as offending to the eye now but uh, that's there and on facebook search plane safety podcast on facebook and that should uh, pop up yeah you can uh, you can download uh, pip's episodes episode three coming soon pip episode three should be out i haven't recorded it yet but uh, within the next 10 days i hope excellent and also, uh, all things being well, Pip uh, is going to do just a little segment for us each week, um, if that's okay, Pip, on the, it uh, is, on uh, the show. It is, I already have in mind uh, what the next one's going to be, so Excellent. I'll do that uh, uh, very soon. And we hope to, uh, uh, I say hope, um, we'll definitely be catching up with you, uh, Pip, um, to meet you, and uh, look forward to seeing you at Riyadh. At Riyadh, um, yeah, that sounds like the one. And, uh, and Farnborough as well, if you're at Farnborough this year. I think, no, that's the following weekend, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is, yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to be working then, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. c- couldn't you just fly in, Pip? Unfor- well, I tell you what, though. I wanted to make Simon jealous. I want to tell you about uh, the best air show I've ever been to that I did fly into. Oh, here we go. And this was last year's Paris air show. Oh, my goodness. Uh, sheer luck. I happened to fly into Le Bourget yes. uh, five minutes before closing time. And they changed it all around for the air show. So we had to go and park off on some remote bit of the airfield. Yes. So we landed, was that air show planned? started, was that and this was, I, I, when the air show was taking place directly over my head, so none of this 300 metres behind the flight line business, yeah. it was right over my head, so I went and got my suitcase out of the hold, put my shorts on and my sunglasses, grabbed a couple of pillows and climbed up onto the wing of my aeroplane and sat back and watched as the BA-380, uh, some Russian jets and things were doing their thing. Hmm. literally 100 feet above my head. I could feel almost the heat from the uh, from the jets. Yeah, I bet. I have to say. Blooming marvellous. Best edge. Pip has got the best job that you, as, a, as an air aviation geek you could ever wish to have. Yes. You are, are honestly, special. Pip. It, it it must be uh, you, you know you must have some lots of friends who just um, who hate you I think <laughs> you think this is the best job in the world to have. Has moments. Uh, but uh, but yes, thanks again, Pip, for joining us on the show. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure having you on. And um, 
Don't forget you can uh, you can download this and all the other episodes of uh, the Plain Talking UK podcast on iTunes, as you can Pip's podcast as well. Uh, and you can go on our website uh, at www.plaintalkinguk.com, plain spelt P-L-A-N-E. And send us your emails to plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. You can send us your emails and your views and reviews on there. Don't forget as well, when you're on iTunes downloading the episode, do leave us uh, a review on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, and that all helps... Um, all helps to make me and Simon smile on a weekly basis, eh, hey, yes, Simon? Yes. So we're going to bring uh, the episode 17 to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Um, we are going to be back ASAP, aren't we, Simon, yes. sometime next week yes, um, with uh, episode the, 18. The excitement is building uh, for the air show season. Definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I've also got uh, some interviews coming up as soon, uh, soon as well um, with a couple of the uh, big aviation museums in our area. Yes. We've got those to record soon. That'll be good. Yeah, and obviously uh, we'll be doing some outside podcasts uh, uh, as well throughout the uh, air show season. Yes, so we that... will. Yeah, we've got our broadcasting unit So there'll ready. be some surprise um, guests, special guests. Um, and we look forward to that as well. So that's it then for episode number 17 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Pip, as we said, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. you. And um, don't forget, download Pip's podcast. Um, I will be um, when the episode three comes out. That's part of my uh, stable diet of uh, podcasts each week. Yes, definitely. Yes, yes. So that's all then for this week. And uh, Take care, everyone. And from you, Simon. Take care. Look forward to seeing you again. And remember, eyes to the sky. Eyes to the sky. And from you, Pip. Uh, Fly safe, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.